and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Buckleman. I'm Mark Marble. I'm Dan Kurtzky. And I'm Jim Ford. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 400. We think. I'm like... <laughs> I actually screwed up. <laughs> I was going to joke and say it was 399D, and then I, but I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you, know, you know what we have to start with? It's the most important question because, you know, the answer is different every time. Guys, this is a monumental episode. We reached another hundred something or another hundred and fifty or whatever. The show's been on for so long. What do you What do you think? How do you How do you look back on the show and remember things? Because you guys, you guys, you give a different answer every time, and I just I really want to know. I really want to know how you feel. You know, this, the four four hundred just feels really monumental to you, doesn't it? Clearly, this was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't sign up for curveballs, Chad. <laughs> no, I was thinking about it the other day. It's like you know, yeah, because I remember I it was I think it was Jim saying like you know basically every time we do one of these sort of anniversary related uh, or you know milestone related episodes, the question is the same, but the answer never really changes. It's just like, yep, this is something we started and still going. <laughs> Like, what really can be said? That, that's the answer. So what, what really more can be said? Onto the onto the issue. I, mean, I am impressed that it's still going, especially considering it had such an easy opportunity to end a few years ago. But um, <laughs> which opportunity just, was that? <laughs> yeah, and how exactly well, we, how many few years ago? Well, I, for, I forget how many. It was actually, like, a bunch of years ago. It was when, like, Jim and I decided to quit, and, like, for a while we weren't sure, like, are we just going to end the show or give it to Chad or what was going on there? But, yeah, I'm glad it continued. I'm glad I got this far, and I don't know. I feel like I feel like most things about my Green Lantern fandom have, like, come back around at this point, where it's like, hey, I'm doing an anniversary episode of the Lantern cast, I'm enjoying Green Lantern content in a way I haven't in a long time, and I can stomach talking to you guys every so often, so it's all pretty good. <laughs> and you've had to do a lot of stomaching. No, thank <laughs> Right, Chad? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm back at least for a little bit. Uh, so I, I I know that they've talked about it on the show. I finally was able to kind of catch up. Uh, when I realized what Dan was talking about with his earlier off mic that I could actually listen to podcasts while I was playing Animal Crossing, not just the annoying background music, because I only listen to podcasts when I commute or when I'm like 
out walking around or whatever. And obviously that was those were off the table. So I just was real behind on podcasts. Um, but now I'm caught up. And yeah, so uh, long story short, I have diverticulitis and uh, they are going to remove like 25, 30 percent of my colon. Uh, but that surgery isn't until the end of July, uh, maybe early August. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, I have a what's known as a wound vac uh, attached to me, uh, basically healing me from my prior surgery, which was to remove an infected abscess from that kind of that my system there. Uh, that's almost healed up. Uh, I'll actually, if I get the paperwork from the doctor, I'll, I'll be quote unquote going back to work, as in just sitting at the desk I'm sitting now and doing work um, uh, next week, Monday. Or since this podcast is coming out on a, on a specific date, it, last Monday, I'll have already been at work for the first time um, because I only have 12 weeks of short-term disability. And I'm not actually sure if I have long-term disability. So um, if I go back to work on Monday the 6th, that leaves me with roughly a month of short-term disability so that when I go into surgery for the removal of the bad portion of the colon – then that kind of gives me a buffer zone. I'll, you know, restart that last that last month of a uh, short short term disability, and um, you know, hopefully everything goes well. But if there's a small hiccup or something like that, at least I have like a little bit of a buffer. Um, but I'm doing okay. I mean, other than just the effects of diverticulitis, sometimes it feels like, you know. Like when you see like a worm or something crawling around the ground, and you see how they sort of wrinkle forward and move or whatever. That's sort of what it feels like inside of me. The you can sort of see feel the wrinkling or whatever as your bowels <laughs> move. Says. It's, it's I don't know. It's it's freaky. Well, it's what, what, a it's picture, freaky. what a picture you're painting. You know, but yeah, other, I, most of the most most of the times it's just pain. So just pain. Uh, so <laughs> as long as I don't have a as long as I don't have a fever, um, it means there's no yet another infected abscess or something like that that I had to go in for or whatever. But, um, you know, uh, in a way, I sort of did it to myself, you know, being a larger guy for as long as I have been and eating habits and stuff like that. So now that I've got a little brother, a little half brother, and now, you know, since I was hospitalized, my nephew Dean has been born. Um I, you know, got some reasons to stick around for a while, uh, other than just, you know, making sure the rest of my life isn't as painful as uh, it has been recently. So I've got some changes to do, but, uh, you know, right now I've got nurses taking care of me every Monday, Wednesday, Friday for now and just working on getting that surgery scheduled and trying to get back on track. Well, okay. Yes, good goals. Good goals. Just picturing like a pediatrician sitting Chad down, going, "Well, sport, you got a case of the wrinklies." Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> uh, we, uh, we we we're so used to Doc McStuffins in our home, where every everything that she prescribes is either like alliteration or rhyming or something like that. So Chad would have a case of the slippy drippies or something like that. <laughs> If I have to watch another episode of Word Party, I swear to God. My little brother. Oh, God. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the worst. <laughs> I think he's transitioned over to Paw Patrol now, but uh, there was a, there was a time when I would hang out with him and I'd, he'd only sit still if you 
put on word party. No. <laughs> All right, but what are we what are we covering tonight, guys? Uh, some it. Green Lantern. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm depressed. I think we call it a night. <laughs> <laughs> what we're what we're going to be covering, I assume, is we're covering the 80th anniversary 100 page spectacular that just came out a week ago from uh, of Green Lantern. For sure. Uh, did you? Uh, so did anybody here other than me get every single cover? No. 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 Okay. Yeah, I got every single cover. Um, just because I made a, a I don't know, an internal personal commitment that no one's really holding me accountable to for, but me. Um, <laughs> uh, that you know, during Green Lantern's 80th anniversary, during the year of 2020, uh, if DC puts out anything new Green Lantern related that I can afford, I will buy it just to support the character and, and, and everything. So when they said they were going to do the 80th anniversary issues, I made sure to get every single cover and I'm going to be getting that, um, that collected edition hardcover thing that's coming out. Not, not that's collecting this, but, uh, I guess collecting just like key appearances or something like that. That's supposed oh, to come yeah. out in a couple months. I think. Is that the one where it's like celebrate 80 years of Green Lantern and it has Hal Jordan on the cover for some reason and not Alan yes. Scott? That's yes. the one. That's the Great. one. Um, could be, I was, could I be got worse because Simon got, on the cover. No offense, Dan. Oh. <laughs> you all, there will be a reckoning. <laughs> and, and then I will be the only host of this show. <laughs> So what covers know. did you guys get? Did you guys all get the regular cover with everybody on it, sort of? What, who did the art on this one? Oh, well, who did the art on... Who did? How many people did the art on this one? <laughs> well, I'm going to jump out and say uh, I got the Kyle Rayner cover uh, by Philip Tan. I, I really wanted the cover by uh, Nicholas Scott, but my comic shop did not have... Like, that was the one that they did not have. So I'm like, I'm debating. It's like, okay, do I get the Kyle cover or do I get the all green cover, you know, and possibly get like a sketch on it someday. But I'm like, hey, you know what? I really do like the Kyle cover. So that's where I went. It still bothers me. They didn't have Daryl Banks draw yes, that cover. Daryl continues to get shafted. <clears throat> I got- well, you know, but it, it makes sense, though, because like, you know, they for a lot of these covers for all like the 80th anniversaries, not just Green Lantern. Like they're kind of going for up and coming, you know, artists or artists that are really good at making like those splash page covers, and not okay. to not to throw any shade at Daryl because I love Daryl's pinups and everything, but like that's not the direction that they were going for. Hmm. Yeah, so I got the stand. I got the standard cover. The Liam Sharp cover. The uh, is that is it him that did this? The one where it's it's literally like. Half of the images are just traced from other covers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I I got that cover and I am I I I was thinking I don't know why I thought this, but I thought the digital version would have all of them, and it just has the standard cover. And I hate the standard cover more than I hate most artwork I've seen in the last six months. This <laughs> <laughs> is just this is just like like. Hey, let's let's take some clip art and just dump it on a table and then photograph it, and now that's the cover to your issue. Yeah, it was pretty pretty um 
lackluster. I honestly, I was kind of shocked that the Nicholas Scott cover was not the 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 basic. You know that I, that was that that should have been the main cover. That should have been the only cover. I don't know why they named others. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, since they can capitalize on you know people like what, eight, eight different <laughs> yeah eight different decades or whatever and a a, a blank co- cover. But yeah, I mean, you know, you've got you've got a cover with everybody on it, and then you've got a cover with like clip art, you know, that's arranged poorly and does not look iconic in the slightest. I, I don't know, doesn't make any sense. I have the fifties cover. I not by choice. The who? Not by. Which one do you have? Fifties, the nineteen fifties cover, the Matt Taylor cover. Uh. It was, oh. Yeah, it was not by it was not by choice. I the comics were late actually to my to my shop last week, and I actually was going just to pick up. Uh, unfortunately, pick up the uh, that, that horrible issue from uh, the of the Morrison book that I needed, so Dan and I could do that <laughs> do that episode, which will already be out by the time this comes out. Uh, but uh, that that episode is already the worst part of Chad's medical problems. Well, he hasn't heard it yet, so he wouldn't know. <laughs> Maybe maybe it'll be maybe it'll cl- it'll cleanse the palate and can cure him. <laughs> it'll be so bad. I can I can listen to it as prep for my colonos- uh, colonoscopy. <laughs> That's true. You probably could, but the comic shop was late in getting the. They were a day late in getting their issues, all their diamond stuff last week. So he was unpacked. So I, while I was waiting, he and I were BSing. Then the, the UPS guy showed up. So then it was just a matter of all the umpteen boxes he had to unpack. And the first one he grabbed was the Guy Gardner cover. I didn't want that one. <laughs> so yeah, I actually liked that one. It, I thought that was it's, like, in, I thought it was well done. Yeah. Do I want a Guy Gardner cover? N- maybe not specifically, but like I thought artistically it was well oh, yeah. done because it's Philip Tan. But I mean, I, I wanted, I would have been happy with the monkey. I would have been happy with the Avon race. Uh, but the reality is, the second one, the second one they pulled out was was the uh, he pulled out was the 1950s cover, and well, I didn't really love it. At the end of the day, I really only needed the content, and I didn't want to. I didn't really want to either make him dig anymore, and I was already spending more time there than I planned on a quick rundown on, on lunch. So it's like, I'll take that one. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these do look better with the actual trade dress on them. Like I remember looking at the Guy Gardner cover and thinking, like, eh, whatever. But now that actually has the Silver Age like title behind him and everything, it looks a lot better. Hmm. Yeah, I think my favorite is the Yvonne Hayes one, the Anne of Claire Albert and Alex and Claire. It says that's the two yeah. thousands one. The Jim Lee one isn't bad, but I mean, it's Jim Lee. So as long as he's at least half focused, it's going to be difficult to have a truly bad Jim Lee drawing. Yeah, I saw. I'm with Jim. The Nicholas Scott is just it's it's awesome. Yeah. It's so clean. It's so clean and perfect. Um, I I wanted to want the Neil Adams cover, <laughs> but I'm like I'm like I don't need that one. Hmm. I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm disappointed. I didn't like the um. Oh God. Oh, who drew it? The one with all the villains on it. Um. The. <laughs> The Doug Monkey cover? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I just it did, it looked kind of messy to me. I don't I didn't really like it, and I love Doug, Doug Monkey's art. 
Well, yeah, but it suffers from the same problem we like back in the day, like before the before Mark and I were taking over everything. What we would say was Monkey was better at aliens than he was humans, and sometimes even his layouts weren't that great. It's not like Monkey. As long as you're not remembering Maki wrong, I mean, he wasn't perfect, and you know, like Saint Walker, what we probably uh, said, his, uh, probably said his best issue was is it 42, Green Lantern 42, with Prelude to Blackest Night with the Black Hand oh, killing yeah, himself yeah. issue. Like that was probably his best artistically, and that was just like a creepy, gory, dark, you know. Uh, alien-esque sort of landscape uh, issue, but Maki, for me, never, you know, he never was in a situation where he was always hitting it out of the park. There was a lot of stuff that looked wonky for him, so I'm not necessarily I, I get why they got Maki, but I really don't think, you know, he was he, his art is anything to uh, write home about. I think part of it is it's been long enough that I sometimes conflate him with Patrick Gleason because their art styles are so similar and they've shared a studio and everything. And I think they were, they were working on their respective books. If it wasn't the same time, it was close together, but yeah, maybe I'm just kind of transposing some styles in my head a little bit. Cause I think Gleason was better at kind of like the overall roster than monkey was. No, I just remember some of like Hal Jordan's faces where he was like grinning or something like that, and it looked like he had his lips pulled back tight or too many teeth or something. But like Atrocitus would look badass; like he could handle aliens, but for humans, for some reason, look crazy. Um. All right, I guess we just want to get into it because we how many uh, ten stories, huh? Yeah. Yes. All right, so uh, I guess I'm first up. We have Alan Scott in Dark Things Cannot Stand the Light. Uh, James Tinian uh, is the writer. Gary Frank is the artist. Steve Olaf is the colorist. And Tom Napolitano is the letterer. Uh, we have Alan Scott on his way to a kind of uh, cottage country home in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and he's being driven by taxi by none other than Derby, a.k.a. Doiby Dickles. Um, he walks up to a woman on the porch named uh, Doris Henton. And I'm not going to go through every little detail. Like I said, we've got ten stories to go through to t- tonight, so I'm not going to uh, meander around. But essentially, Doris is the, um, is the mother of Jimmy. And Jimmy was one of the individuals who died on the train the day that the train crashed uh during alan's origin um uh basically he's explaining to her everything that uh that went down with the engineer decker uh who sabotaged the bridge uh and she asked basically did my boy see justice and he said he did uh, and you kind of get a flashback, a little bit of a couple of pieces of Alan's origin. A lot of it very faithful, like him phasing through the wall to Decker's office, uh, being impervious to the bullets of his thugs, uh, things like that. Uh, and 
Um, at the end, she just says, uh, for the sake of everyone who feels like they're the only light in a dark world, uh, we want you to carry, I want you to carry that forward for my Jimmy. He says, I'll do my best. He lights up his ring right in front of her. She says, that fire, you're him, you're Green Lantern, and Alan Scott, in his traditional uniform, flies off into the sky over the cab of Doiby, which I thought was interesting. You know, Doiby is just going to be left there. <laughs> yeah, baby, I drove you all the way out to the middle of the country just for you to fly us off. But I guess the big thing about this is this is essentially emerging um, in a way of the New 52 Earth 2 title in terms of the origin of Alan Scott and the traditional origin of Alan Scott as seen in uh, All-American Comics number 16. Because it's very clearly, very strongly hinted at that maybe Jimmy and uh, Alan had a relationship. You guys got that out of there, right? 100%. I mean, they're... He talks about like why was he why was a man of means on a train like that and now it's like I was trying to get away from myself and it cut to a shot of the two of them just like it is in the most romantic panel I've seen in a long time just the, the silhouettes of their faces really close together separated by a crackling fire like at, it's absolutely they're they're canonizing mainline Alan Scott as being gay. Yep, and it's not the first mention of it either. I'm, there was um, a recent Justice League issue where John Stewart, they reintroduced the JSA through a Justice League story where they're time traveling or something, and there's a conversation between John Stewart and Alan Scott where Alan makes some mention of uh, how he knows what it's like to keep to keep things about yourself a secret. No one should have to live with that, and like living with the truth takes real willpower. It's like, I think the thing that they've, they've taken, well, I think they took two things from Earth 2. First is somebody really liked the idea of having Alan be gay. <laughs> and, the, and the second is that they looked at how they handled it the first time by making it like a huge like like PR thing, and they realized, well, this, this was a terrible way to do this, so let's just kind of, let's lay it on with a more delicate touch here. And so far, so good, I think. So back in the day, I remember when we were going through this, um, we almost had an entire episode debating it, uh, talking about, you know, it, should you take existing characters and just change them for the heck of it? Like, uh, you know, is there a right way to do it? Is there a wrong way to do it? Should you even do it at all? Should we just create new characters? That sort of a thing. Knowing that... At the time, essentially, they were creating not they weren't changing Alan Scott as we knew him, but a different version from a different Earth in the multiverse, sort of. I mean, they called it Earth 2, but I mean, let's be honest, everything was wildly different on that Earth. So it might as well have just been its own Earth in the multiverse. They sort of created a new version of Alan Scott and made that version gay. Now they're taking the Alan Scott and making him gay. Does that change any of the opinions you may have mentioned way back when for you? For me, it doesn't because I just I like the way they did it here. Um, just to the point that Dan just said, but I just didn't know if anybody's 
opinions have changed now that it's a f- like the Alan Scott. I don't know why it's necessary. I don't know. I mean, like you, they had a they had a built-in. If you, you hate to use phrases to you, but they had a built-in out or cover by having a. But yes, the whole new fifty-two. They they there were so many curveballs they threw in the new fifty-two and things like that. Uh, Cyborg Superman wasn't even Hank Henshaw in the new fifty-two. <laughs> so it was. So I I don't know. I I think I, yes, they're being more subtle about it, but I don't necessarily know if I don't know if it's necessary. And I, and I think for people who have been waiting to get the real quote unquote Alan Scott back, then you're still not really delivering that. You. Because in a way, by doing this, you're implying even if even if you know he does end up getting married and he has Jade and Oblivion, now you're kind of implying that 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 was all like a a, a byproduct of living a living a lie, which is not necessarily because it's not like that never happens. But that's not the Alan Scott that we all knew and, and we and we we read for the majority of his time. So I don't I don't I I think it's a slippery slope. I think. To play off of what Mark is saying, like, yeah, the the Alan Scott that we've already always gotten has always been somebody that has been very honest, and you know, like he lives his truth, and like, granted, you know, like this happened plenty of times back in the day. It doesn't, you know, like you can't really rectify it with his character as it has been unless and I don't see them doing this but unless they make him buy in which case that I think you know that is inclusive in that everything that happened before like he was living his truth and he fell in love with this woman and you know and he had a relationship with him but that does not negate the fact that he also fell in love with a guy on the train, you know, and had very real feelings for him, too. I think that if they went that route, like, I mean, I think it would be awesome, really, because that's not something that you see very much in comics. They very rarely handle somebody that is bisexual. They, you know, it's either you're straight or gay. And honestly, I think um, with Joe from uh, Far Sector... Uh, they're playing her as what is it, gender queer, or is it not not gender queer, sexual preference queer, as in we, we've we've only fluid. seen her, we've only I think seen oh no we have seen her with both yeah I was gonna say I, yeah. I forgot I forgot about last issue for a second <laughs> I mean so, so they could they could handle Aunt, oh sorry go ahead I didn't know you were still going oh yeah yeah no but uh it's just like. You know, like they're playing her off as like, okay, well, it's it's very fluid for her, so she's not necessarily like bisexual. She could just be somebody that is open to relationships with any species, any gender, which is also awesome. Um, and I think that if they want to incorporate Alan, you know, like and rectify both universes in one character, making him bisexual, where you don't negate you know, the honesty in his past relationships. And then he could also be in love with a guy now in present day. I think that would be, that would be a landmark move. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to play it more so that he was 
in hiding and he couldn't love who he wanted to love and he had to put up a front even though that he was the Green Lantern you know like he's the Green Lantern but to put up a good show he got married and you know was basically stringing somebody along who he cared a lot about but didn't actually love you know like I, I just I, I can't rectify that for the character but we'll see how his story plays out yeah I think Oh, yeah. I was just gonna say. I think I think it all depends on how DC handles it from here on out. Because you can say, you know, if if you're gonna have you know Jade and Obsidian and all this other stuff, well, Jade and Obsidian could be adopted or whatever. Or you could have you know the Harlequin uh, be a man because you know that that was always like a flirty relationship, uh, romantic sort of thing. Uh, and you don't want to lose any of that. So I'm just trying to think of like all the stuff I love about Alan that I wouldn't want to lose. Um, but then again, it's also comics. So you could get into a situation where like somehow with his relationship with the guy, uh, whichever guy he ends up with, uh, the Starheart kind of forged their love. And, you know, the Starheart in a way... I don't know, took uh, the genetic material of Alan and whatever and impregnated somebody or, or, or affected some sperm donation. Oh, God, no, I do not want that. Well, I know. But I, know I, I do I, not I, want well, the Starheart raping some other woman. Jesus not a, Christ. No, 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 no. I, I, don't, I, I don't mean, like, physically raping. I mean, like, sort of like, the, sort of like a, a sort of a mystical... Uh, influence on the genetic material before you know they did a sperm donor sort of situation. Midichlorians, midichlorians, a Darth Vader birthed by the Force kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah, like that essentially. So like there, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it where you still have Jade and Obsidian being related to Alan, uh, you know, being you know connected to him in some way and, and still have that connection. But the thing I don't like is an idea where, okay, if Jade and Obsidian are adopted, and if gay, and if uh, Alan is full, is is just straight, is just completely gay, then if the, there's a part of Jade and Obsidian's connection to Alan that always sucked, and it was the fact that he didn't know about them until a certain point. If he was involved in their adoption, he did know about them, and to have walked away from them you know, kind of detracts from the character of Alan Scott, which I wouldn't want. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, there's there's ways DC can do this uh, and, and kind of keep a lot of the history and, and a lot of the, the stuff that we've seen with Alan over the years intact, but it's very easy for them to take a wrong turn or, or turn a wrong corner and and kind of screw up the rest of it. I really don't think they have to do all that much to make it work. Cause, and, and they don't have to even touch the, the superpower side of it at all. Because, I mean, something that we have to all remember is that everybody is is a product of the environment they grew up in. And Alan, you know, for every good and accurate thing you can say about Alan as a character who's like, <clears throat> you know, strong-willed and putting himself out there... <clears throat> he's still a guy from 1940 and he grew up in 1940s society with night with you know you could argue the best version of 1940s values but still 1940s values which aren't exactly 
what would be the most welcoming to anyone who isn't straight. And like a, a thing in the real world that happens all the time is that people don't come out of the closet until very late in life because of of the life they've led and like when where and when they've grown up. Sometimes having been married to someone of the opposite sex for years, sometimes having biological children with those people, not because the love was a lie, but just because that they weren't able to be honest about themselves or even with themselves. Like this could be something, I mean, obviously it's not being played that way because this takes place back in like the, the, the forties or fifties or something, but they could have Alan Scott, realize or admit to himself for the first time that he's gay in 2020 and it would still be a believable term because that shit happens well that would be believable if they didn't just write this story that happens back in the 40s you know yeah. like that if if that was the case and it's like you know what i just yeah i i've lived my whole life and i realize now that you know i i must have beaten it down subconsciously but like this like, not only is it saying that he, you know, he was into this guy, and very much so, em- enough that he went to personally go visit the guy's mom and basically confirm that, you know, with coded speak, that he was his, you know, lover or whatever. Like, he's pretty much, like, fully saying that he's out there, you know, he is gay, and he has embrace that lifestyle if only to do it in private or secret but then look what happened because this this presents it as the reason he was on that train in the first place is because he was conflicted over his sexuality and he was trying to run away and get away from it get away from himself and maybe learn something about himself and he he met somebody on the train and he decided to just to try and embrace that side of himself and the other guy died. Like, they've, they've, it's not clean. And it, we don't know yet how this gels with the decades that come after it. But they've very clearly set up the idea that, at least around his origin, Alan Scott does not have a cut and dry view of this is who I should be. And it's something that isn't, it isn't clear to him that this is right for me. Yeah, I didn't didn't mean to spend so much time on his sexuality, but I mean, in in all in all honesty, this is the first solo character uh, characterization driven story we've gotten about Alan in forever. And it looks like, you know, they made that a big part of this story, but also made it adhere very, very closely to the original origin. So it looks like the Alan that we're going to get in this Rebirth universe or whatever is going to have a lot of the same history as the original Alan that we knew, just with a small, much smaller twist. So since they made it the, the focal point of this story, I figure we should spend some time talking about it. Oh, definitely. And it's, it's something I'm very curious to, to see what happens with, because I'm, you know, foreshadowing for a thing I'm making right now. I'm a little over halfway through reading all, everything connected to New 52 Earth 2, and they they... Uh, there's still a bunch there's still like five trades worth of stuff left so i won't say they completely dropped the ball but so far it's not looking too great 
And like the big thing about this for me is that this time around, it seems like they're putting actual thought and care into it. Because like I was reading like the reason, the entire reason New Fifty Two, Earth Two Allen ended up gay is because I think it was James Robinson who was who launched the book. He thought it was a shame that aging down the characters, making them all younger, meant we would lose out their kids. And he he liked that Obsidian was like a really prominent, well received gay character, and now we're losing him. And then his very next thought was, well, maybe we can make Alan gay. And if you believe with him, it was never supposed to be a big deal. But Dan DiDio got on, started doing panels announcing it and, and like making headlines within shit. And then it kind of like didn't live up to anything, especially since the writing on the first like two trades of that series weren't very good. The first issue with him was very good. Like the origin of Earth 2 Alan Scott was great. Yeah, that was issue three, I think. Should we move on to last will? Yeah. Let's let's, let's just hope that Alan paid Derby before he flew off. Let's just hope. <laughs> let's just hope part of his character is I'm going to stiff this bastard and fly off and leave him here. <laughs> Where is Derby's hat? He, he, he stole whole that deal. too. Well, hopefully not. Uh, all right. So let's. This story should be a lot quicker. Um, and. And the discussion of it might be even even quicker than my wrap-up. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, we have Last Will, Jeff Johns, writer, Avon Race, or Avon Hayes, or whatever, whatever alias else we want to use for him, penciler, or Clara Albert Inker, Alex Sinclair, colorist, Rob Lee, letterer. So, we have Hal Jordan, basically, he, cra- he crash lands, his ring's malfunctioning, he has no idea where he is, his ring's being incredibly unhelpful his ring's almost out of juice so conveniently enough he's got he's got enough juice in his ring to send three 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 final messages uh so he records he records the first that he sends out to as a distress signal and potential farewell to the blues and the greens which uh which we'll talk about uh that's number so that's his first message he sends that off number two he sends a message to bruce wayne to batman which we'll go into some detail about that too. And last but not least, he sends a message to Carol, in which he talks about, "Oh, you're the, my one true love," and yada yada. Then his ring dies, and Hal Jordan—he's shocked that he can breathe. He makes it over the top of the mountains, and he finds out, "Hey, guess what? He's in Las Vegas. He crash landed on Earth." And then Hal's like, "Hey, can you?" Re-? Which is kind of funny. He's like, "Can you can you pull those messages back?" Which is funny because his ring <laughs> his, his rings out of juice anyway. And then we see the final picture of everybody at the ju- at, at the Justice League m- making fun of him because apparently Bruce Wayne has loose lips. And and well, before we before we go around on this, then let, let me say <laughs> that of the three stories I was looking forward to the most in this book, <laughs> there was the Kyle story, the Sinestro, the Sinestro story, and this story. And by far, this is the most inconsequential puff piece. <laughs> Waste. Talk about talk about a dramatic non-return after not writing this character in, in a Green Lantern book for friggin' se- what seven years. You come back to this story, which doesn't, which first of all doesn't doesn't move anything forward whatsoever. 
and ra- a typical Jeff Johns and raises questions like when when the hell is this taking place? Because he's sending a distress signal to the Blues and the Greens, but yet Worth is there. Worth is dead. So was this back during Blackest Night or before Lights Out? Because technically, while Simon was alive during Blackout, during Lights Out, Jessica wasn't a Green Lantern at that point. No, this is definitely taking day, taking place present day because Superman has that current uh, thing where the underwear goes at an angle over the, over belt. the belt. Right. So, so, so again, Jeff Johns is raising questions like, when the hell is this actually takes? You know, what, what does this mean? Because you have Brother Warth, who's clearly dead, and our continuity. Uh, you got the whole thing with Batman, which doesn't make any sense. Oh, I'd still be Parallax if not for you. What the fuck does that mean? That makes no. That, that's not what happened <laughs> in Green Lantern Rebirth. Yeah. Uh, so that made no. That made no. That made no sense. The one that. And I don't. And I don't necessarily see that Batman's the kind of guy that's going to be. He would. He would be more than happy to hold this to use against Hal at the right moment. I don't think he'd be going. Oh, by the way. Now maybe he. Oh, maybe. And he, and he does. And he does, because clearly everybody knows about it at the end. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Hold it to you really yeah. use against Hal. I know, kidding aside. Now, yes, maybe he sent it to the ju- to the, to the tower, and but still. So i got to be – talk about a way to come back to the character with a friggin' thud. I mean, I think this, this was a complete – this was so disappointing to me, the story. And Oh, oh one, one last thing before, I pass, before I, I pass it off to whoever else wants to chime in on this beauty. Basically, this is a Green Lantern version of the Twilight Zone episode. I shot an arrow into the air, which is a bunch of you know when astronauts astronauts fly into space. I think they're supposed to, I think they're supposed to explore either an asteroid or something. They crash. Their navigation is destroyed. Their communications are destroyed. Four of them crash land, and before by the end, only one's alive. And you find out, guess what? They crash landed right outside of Reno. They're back on Earth. So it's, it's the fact. So this is just a happier ending version. <laughs> of, of that story, but but typically not as well told. <laughs> but yeah, this was this was a steaming pile as far as I was concerned. See, I like this, and until you started talking, I had I it never occurred to me to ex, to go in expecting any of these stories to be any kind of actual forward progression for any of these characters. Like like when I see oh Jeff Johns and Evan Hayster are reuniting to tell a 10-page Hal Jordan story in an anniversary collection. Okay, so this is this is a nostalgia piece, really. Like, why is why does that shot of all of those characters like it's it's there because it's remi- trying to remind you of the Johns era, not because it makes sense for them all to exist at the same time. Like it's it was just kind of it was just kind of nice. You know, it was like in an in an age where I haven't been happy with a Hal Jordan story in like a year and a half. I kind of liked getting this version of the character. Like I liked having the the Hal Jordan I recognize just show up and remind me of the good times. <laughs> and I and I think that's kind of like what each and every one of these. I mean, that's why you have like these specific creative teams telling stories about these specific characters. That's why you get get Vended, Venditti and his artists on, like, in a couple, in a little bit. And you have, like, the Green Lantern core team in a little bit, and, like, all of this stuff. I mean, my biggest issue was, I mean, obviously Carol was going to be the third call he made, and I'm, I'm genuinely impressed Hal was smart enough 
to use the first call that way. <laughs> but Batman? Batman. It's even what he it's even what he says. I mean, some of it I can get the fact that he respects Bruce's leadership and the way he command and the way Bruce commands a room. But the idea that, oh, kind of making it sound like he, the way Hal charges in, you know, all the time is like, oh, it's because he, I've somehow like I'm doubting myself and I'm trying to prove, my, uh, you know, I, I wish I were, I wish I were you and things. It's like, oh, man, I was like, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I get, oh. I get why it's there. Like Jeff Johns absolutely loves putting Batman in Green Lantern stories. Yeah. Like that's the only reason this is here because I, as soon as Hal said that he has three messages, I'm like, okay, Carol's going to be the third one. And then he did the awesome first one. I turned the page hoping against hope that the second one would be to his brother because that's like Batman. Really? Not yeah. you're not going to tell if you are if you are operating on the idea that you are going to die in space and never be seen or heard from again. You're not going to send a message to the only family you have left. You know, I could see him not sending it to his brother because his brother knows the risks that come along with, you know, him being Green Lantern. And, you know, basically he has probably just come to you know, rely on the fact that at any given moment, unless he's looking at Hal, Hal is dead. But Hal could always come back to life. Again. Because <laughs> he has. <laughs> you know, so like, literally, like, his brother is probably the least worried about him. It Like, it, in my opinion, like, Carol, okay, you know, you want to go that route, fine, whatever. Even if, you know, whatever. Um, I, I guess that one makes sense. And like Dan said, yes, the first call was a very good, good choice, very good choice. Although I didn't, I don't think you need to spend quite so much energy to create the uh, the construct of every single lantern <laughs> that he was trying to reach. It was probably a poor choice with uh, him running out of juice. But with Batman, like I agree that like it should not have been there. If anything, it should have been either. Um, Either Green Arrow or Flash. Or Arisia, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it should have been a call to Fla- to Barry to hurry over to Hal's place and to destroy his hard drive. <laughs> oh my god. That's funny. That, 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 that's funny. Um, I think so does, he call, does he call Carol or does he call Cowgirl? Carol. That's, it's Carol. <laughs> I know, but I, I know, but like when have we ever seen Carol dressed like that? Never. <laughs> we don't know about everything they do behind closed doors, Chad. Come on. I don't know. I, I, I understand what Dan's point was about you know what you would expect from these stories, except when we turn – well, once we turn past the really cool splash pages we get next and we get to the Sinestro story – that just shoots that theory to hell because you actually get some real serious meat and character development in the Sinestro story. And here you have Jeff Jeff Johns, you know, the the golden age of Green Lantern for us here, and 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 it's like just mails it in, baby. <laughs> Honestly, um, with the Sinestro thing, like considering where they have Sinestro at right now in the universe. I don't know that you necessarily could think look at this as, you know, as character building because this could literally this one could be 
in the past. But it's, it's you know, this could be back in the day. Yes, but the point is, it's it's what you learn about. It's it's what you learn is well, in a few seconds we'll get into about Sinestro and his and what motivates him and what that 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 is something you bring to the table. It, it's fleshing things out. What this fleshes this fleshes nothing out. I'm looking at this construct of the whole green and blue lantern core and thinking about this mass email Hal just sent all of them and I'm just picturing. Every single time one of them replies to it, it goes to all of them. Because <laughs> nobody, nobody's gonna uncheck that box, and they're not—they're no, not gonna get any sleep for like a month because just nonstop notifications. You're kind of quiet, Chad. Yeah, just. Do you think Hanu cares? <laughs> like, why are you sending a message to Hanu? Is he just saying it to just all core? Yeah, he says all core yeah. members. But we're just going to get a shot of the important ones, I is guess. Is alive still? I mean, that's Hanu, isn't it? Uh, isn't that Budika up above? Yeah, Budika is yeah. there. I know it's Budika. So, yeah, she if, if she if she was alive and kicking, she wouldn't care either. Uh, but this, this, this whole story is just, hey, guys, let's just relax and uh, and remember yeah. the, remember how cool the John's era was. Well, for me, they failed. <laughs> that was the goal. They, you, would think, you know what would have saved this half? Maybe they, they should have had blue a house blue lantern ring fly over his head and he wasn't paying attention to it. <laughs> that might have saved no. it for me. No, that's behind the construct of everybody. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's what I'm... So, okay. one, of the, one of the things I thought was interesting was when I first saw this page, he's sending a message to people, right? And when some, a lot of times you've seen the trick where they'll use the ring and it's like a video chat. So I was looking at this spread of lanterns going, so they're all looking at how, like, I get, like, I, like it's, is Guy and, and Kyle over at Warriors or something get, getting the message and, and Guy just looks completely aloof. And it's just like, uh, oh, Hal's in trouble again. And look how interested Simon is and what Hal's saying. I like, it took me, it took me a second to realize it was all just posed, but I was like, I thought it was like a, a mega video chat for a second. I, I think this is just from the Christmas card picture from last year. Yeah. Like, hey, they put, they, they put Simon in front 10 out of 10. And does he take down ranks or is, cause it says, um, Close Encounter, Sinestro Corps, Mobile Forge, which could be ranks, but doesn't that look like the ball from, um... Uh, itself? Wait, no. What are you thinking, the Venditti First one? Flight. Oh, First, first flight. flight, that's right. Oh, okay. Yeah, from, from First Flight, the animated series. Yeah, or the I animated. Don't, I don't think... I, I think this is a new thing. Yeah, because we've never seen like when they say a Sinestro Core mobile forge, that made me think like, oh, it's it's a thing that make, builds rings or manhunters or something. But yeah, I don't think we've ever. Oh, seen that's this right, that's right. Because he did have the place that was manufacturing manhunters in the Sinestro series, right? I don't know. I, I think so. I, he definitely he definitely co-opted the manhunters. Yes, I'm not sure. Yeah, he did do that. I just can't remember if that mobile place was was it Apocalypse or War World? Didn't he like? 
Uh, I think it was. I think yeah. I think he took War World from Mongol. Okay. All right. Well, we've got eight more stories to get. Through. We're off to a good start. I think. Yeah. Um, we'll be here all night, folks. Quickly pointing out the uh, the splash pages, we have uh, Joe Mullen from Far Sector, art by yep. Jamal Campbell. That one was phenomenal. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's great. And we got Hal Jordan, uh, art by Bruce Tim and Dave Stewart. Pretty good cut. Pretty well. Pretty good image. It would have made a good cover too. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either one of those would have been better than some of the covers we did get. <laughs> I, would, I would have signed for the. I would have signed for the Joe Thighs for Day Mullen cover. Yes, I would have gone for that one. Uh, I, I do wish we got a Joe story in here, but at the same time, it would feel kind of weird since we're not done with her first ever story yet. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. That's true. All right, so we move on to Sinestro. Or is there any? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so Sinestro and the Meaning of Fear, Cullen Bunn writer, Doug Monkey, artist, Dave Barron, colorist, Carlos Mangual, letterer. So basically, we have this no name Green Lantern who's. To, who serves a nice narrative purpose, though? <laughs> uh, he, you know, he's dealing with uh, what? What are these things? I just lost them. What the hell are they called? Bugs. Well, no, the uh, Purge engineers. engineers. That's yeah. it. I had it, and I, yeah. and I lost it. That Sinestro shows up as this Green Lantern. About run, he's running out of juice, and he's de- dealing with these Purge engineers, which I guess are something that Green Lantern. Well, yes, were plentiful back in the day, but you know, even Sinestro was surprised any, some of them were still alive. And, Sine- and this Green Lantern re- recognized Sinestro more by somewhat by, by description and reputation, and he calls him a terrorist. And, of course, Sinestro likes that. <laughs> and Sinestro – and while it's interesting, while this Green Lantern tries to think that, you know, that he, the reason why he was – Sinestro was so – as he's describing, you know, how why I was the best of basically all of you, and the reason why is like, oh, because you have great, you know, you have great will, you have great faith. It's like love. It's like, no, basically, Sinestro ties his greatness always to the underpinnings was were always related to fear. You know, he was always fear that basically that that you know the the will you know, the, his will would break under the strain of leadership. That you know, faith might his faith might might be displaced. That grief would overtake. And consume love, that fear that why he's, you know, he was trying to, what he thought, do, you know, come and do the right thing on Korrigor and common civil war, that basically his comrades in arms would turn against him when they found out. And that's, and the fact, the whole, the whole message to the story is basically that fear is, you really can't have true willpower, understand willpower, unless, the, unless you're afraid of losing something. You have to be willing to. You have to have that fear of loss in order to to have the will to fight for something, and that's the message that he's trying to get across to this recruit who's about out of juice. I do like the little conversation about, hey, as your almost as your ring's almost drained, your ring is right now calculating whether it's worth keeping you alive or flying off now to find a replacement. But either way, it's getting ready to do so, no matter what. Sinestro office offers this Green Lantern Corps member a chance to quote unquote learn how to be a terrorist and basically join the Sinestro Corps. He says no. Sinestro blows a hole through his head, and he says, uh, "A pity. It's like uh, without you know without fear, what good are you?" And it's like, and you can thank me for sparing you a, a difficult decision. And he says, "His the Green Lantern ring flies off to find a replacement." He's like, "Let's see if your next candidate is better suited to such grand responsibility." Because Sinestro's talking about it. this is what he wants to teach the Green Lantern Corps. That's the message he's trying to bring to the Green Lantern Corps. That that's another thing that gets said in the story. That that's that's, but, and that's that story, which I think is 
If it's not my favorite, it's my second favorite in this book. I really do like the him pointing out that, you know, your ring still has enough power to save your life. It's just not going to because it has to use that power to find your replacement. Like between between that and and just articulating really well the the idea of Sunetro's willpower and fear kind of reinforcing each other and making them both stronger than they otherwise would be alone. Like the, yeah, this was really turns out turns out Colin Bunn knows how to write Sinestro pretty good. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, this is back in the day when we used to think, and he did at the time, when we used to thought when we used to think that Jeff John nobody could get Sinestro more than Jeff Johns got Sinestro, at least that this version of Sinestro. But Colin Bunn pretty much is at least on equal footing with him now and and the fact that again you look at a lot of these a lot of these stories where you have the creative teams jumping back in to pick up on characters that they wrote after various lengths of time and sometimes like when we get to the Mars and the Banks thing they've written Kyle again but they haven't written Kyle regularly in a long ass time and Cullen Bunn obviously has, has written Sinestro more recently on a regular basis but the reality is, I mean, he gets he, he just like goes right back in, and it's like he doesn't miss a beat with the story. And he provides some valuable insight into Sinestro's whole motivation and the idea of going back to, yes, during the Sinestro Corps war when he was trying to get the Sinestro Corps, the Green Lantern Corps, to evolve. He was trying to teach them something, to make them better. And, this, and, the, and clearly this is one of the underlying, <coughs> the underpinning concepts that he wanted to express to the Green Lantern Corps. I love the fact that we don't know how long he's been following this ring around. Because he kills this... He tries to convert this Green Lantern, fails, and then fo- and then says, and basically follows it off-world to its next post, basically saying, like, all right, well, let's see if the next one does better. Like, the guy we saw this time around could have been, like, the tenth one that Sinestro's been, like, been trying to convert. <laughs> I mean that's a good that's a good point, but we've seen that story trope happen a few times in Lantern stories, and I don't know that I'm here for it anymore. Like, shouldn't it be harder after after it leaves a Lantern? Shouldn't it be harder to track or follow, or like should it just warp out of there? Should it, you know, transport itself or to to Oa immediately? Like. Because uh, this this specific scenario has happened before, where you know they'll just follow rings. Because uh, God, I can't remember. I can't. I can't remember specific examples, but I know we've read that type of story before, where they'll kill a lantern and follow the ring to the next recruit. Plus, I mean, if we wanted to, we could like we could just say that like you know obviously the ring was was almost out of power anyway, so it only, the only thing it could do was make a beeline to the next possible recruit. Hmm. It's all, I mean, there is also a chance that at the very end, Sinestro was talking, you know, symbolically here, about let's see if your next if the next candidate is better. It does not necessarily mean he's actually going to follow the ring wherever it happens to go. I mean... It, yeah, I mean, it, I well, I'm going to agree with you, but also I'm going to say that probably he was not following the ring because... For one thing, this Green Lantern has the Green Lantern symbol, which means that he completed basic training, but also the fact that he just got into it with the Purge Engineers and is failing badly. 
that's probably not something that just happened. And Sinestro has been, you know, creeping on the sidelines, watching him fail. You know, this guy is probably an established Green Lantern for a while. And Sinestro just happened upon it. That's what I would I would tend to think. It's kind of like wrong wrong place at the wrong time for this guy on multiple multiple levels. <laughs> and I love the white circles concept. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I do I do like that they just stuck with some of his mannerisms, like floating there with his legs straight and his hands behind his back, just kind of floating around. Or even with his hands crossed in front of his chest. I mean, that that's... Well, well yeah, but uh, on, on the title page where it says the meaning of fear, the bottom yeah, right... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm just saying both of those are Sinestro, are sinestro mannerisms. Yeah. <clears throat> sure. I like the way that the Purge engineer looks outside of the, the shell. Yeah, he's so cute. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like a cute little baby. The universe baby. is on Orion's belt. <laughs> and I like the way he destroy he, he Sinestro rips into the Persia engineers making huge constructs of him fighting Hal. That's kinda of funny. That's kinda of, yes. that's that's kinda of... And the Purge engineer is just collateral damage because it doesn't look like either of well, maybe Maybe Sinestro hit it directly with his construct, but it looks like it's just collateral damage. Well, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, yes, but he is trying to get the... But he is trying to, you know, exert his his power over this guy, saying, hey, look, you, you're having trouble with these guys, but if you if you gave yourself to the fear side of the force, you could take these guys out pretty easily. <laughs> but, but nonetheless... Um, but I thought, I thought overall this is definitely one of the better stories in this in this book. Yeah, definitely one of the stronger ones. Yeah. Great. All right. Uh, well, before we get into Time Alone with Green Lantern and Green Arrow, uh, we have a splash page of Hal Jordan with art by Raphael uh, Grandpa. Grandpa? Raphael, Gra- Raphael Grandpa. Yep. Raphael um, Grandpa, yeah. This looks awesome. It's a very, like, Ryan Reynolds suit kind of looking Hal, but he's making some weird goop baby, yeah. and I'm I'm here for it. With that chunk ring. Yeah. No, I like this. I don't. I like, I like the chunk ring. I like the costume. I like the fact that he, you know, took a chance and took a risk on a different costume. I'm not here for the, the globular baby. <laughs> you know, we all started out as weird floating babies. Yeah, but not from a Green Lantern ring. <laughs> no, Ryan Reynolds is all of our fathers. Oh, please. <laughs> Thank God, no. <laughs> all right, so Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Time of Alone, story by the late, great, will be missed, Denny O'Neill. Art by Mike Grell, cover, colors by Lavren Kinzerski. Uh, letters by uh, Clem, Clem Robbins, assistant editor Marquis Draper, associate editor Andrew Marino, Brian Cunningham is the senior editor, and special thanks to Buddy Sclera. Uh We are in Star City, and Clock King has a kid and is being faced down by Green Arrow. Um, but in his uh, attempt to get away with his hostage, this kid, he drops her off the train, but instead says, you know, grab my hand, child. Um so uh, Green Arrow goes after him, starts beating the ever-loving crap out of him. This is when Hal finally shows up, intervenes. He's got the child safe in a net. Uh, the money that uh, 
Clock King Soul is flying all around the air. Uh, Ollie gives Hal some uh, crap about uh, being gone for two months and not saying a word. Uh, and uh, they just float off in a bubble. And there's, well, what about the money? And it's like, well, the bank's insured. Basically, what Hal says is he's been gone for a while uh, reading a book on another planet. And he's been reading Warren by uh, uh, Thoreau. Walden. So, I'm uh, sorry? Walden. You say Walden? Well, oh, no, yeah, I'm sorry. It's just it's dark over here, and it looks kind of blurry over on my side. Um, Walden by Thoreau. Because um, Black Canary recommended it to him. He said that... Um, in a lot of work, I, we see a lot of bad things. After meeting up with some particularly rough characters, I'd noticed that both of us were punching harder, maybe a bit too hard. It got me thinking, if we want to make the world a better place, we can't keep doing what we're doing. Um, and there's just some quotes. Uh, I'm assuming from the book. I've actually never read it. Uh, it is on my list of stuff to read at some point in terms of some uh, good literature. But rather than love, rather than money, than fame, give me truth. Heaven is under our feet as well as over our heads. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately to front uh, only the essential facts of life and to see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. The mass of men let... Uh, the mass of men led lives of quiet uh, desperation. And it's telling Ollie how uh, Thoreau spent uh, two years, two months, and two days in the woods to read and think. Hal did two months and two days. Um, and somehow this convinces Ollie to do the same, but for whatever reason in the Fortress of Solitude. So Hal takes Ollie to the Fortress of Solitude um, in Antarctica. Superman, I guess, I guess acquiesced to this. Uh, gives him the book, and uh, Ollie says, two months and two days, come back and get me. And the end of the uh, issue has uh, Hal flying off, and it's uh, the quote is, Things do not change, we change Henry David Thoreau from Walden or Life in the Woods. Um, so I enjoyed it as a Green Lantern, Green Arrow fan. Uh, it is Mike Grell art who was, you know, after Neil Adams left, was one of the art, the prominent artists on the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series. Um, so it definitely fits artistically, but obviously, you know, Grell is age, so it's not as snappy as I would say Grell's art back then was. Um, it's a quick story. It has to be, I guess. But I do like that this can almost fit anywhere in the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series. Uh, including you could it, it could fit uh, in the historic side. It could fit in the the later things that can't be in weird side. Uh, there have been times in those in that Green Lantern Green Arrow series, a couple of times actually, where you know they're they're doing their trip and they're hanging out together, but you know they'll split off and do their own thing for a while. So it's completely plausible that Hal could just have disappeared at a clip and gone and done this. Um, I'm leaning towards it taking. Uh, place more towards the beginning of the Green Lantern Green Arrow series um, just because of the mention of Dinah recommending the book uh, she had been around with them for a little bit and she's probably seen some of what was happening enough to make the thoughtful suggestion that he read this um, so I like that 
Uh, I actually like the the pages artistically of them out of their costumes more than them in them. I yeah, think they're a lot more on the deep. roof of that car. Yeah, for sure. Very beautiful and and very well done. Very detailed. Uh, I like the shot of Hal flying away from the fortress. And personally speaking, this is. Uh, unless something else comes out, this is probably one of Denny O'Neill's last stories, and it's a Green Lantern one. Yeah. So, I, uh, uh, you know, I, maybe maybe it's the, uh, you know, don't speak ill of the dead or anything in me. It's it's hard for me. maybe I'm holding this with more reverence than than I normally would if he were still around, but. Um, you know, we Denny O'Neill was a legendary writer in comics, and you know he changed a lot for not just comics but for Green Lantern and period. And I don't have to get into it. You know, there's a whole spinoff about it, but um, you know, for it's it's interesting that as much as he did for Batman or the Question or you know whatever else you want to say, uh, one of his last stories was a Green Lantern story. So that's kind of cool. Definitely. And I was I was gonna ask if we knew if this was his final work because I tried looking around and I couldn't tell really. Yeah, I didn't see anything definitively, but uh, there are, are aren't there other uh, 80th anniversary things coming out this year? I think there are. It may it may it may end up not being, but uh, it's definitely one of because he's not writing anything lengthy or ongoing. Um, we're starting up a new series. I definitely would have heard if he was starting a new a new series, even a mini series. Yeah, with somebody. I know a long time ago he told me that I think his son or somebody was work, trying to egg him on to write a. Uh, what is it when you write a write your own history? Is that an autobiography? Yes. Or, oh, yes. I think I think somebody in his family was egging him on to write an autobiography. So I don't know if he ever got around to that, but. Um. This is if it's not his the last work, it's definitely one of them. Pretty darn close. So, and it's it's kind of exactly what I why I came to this issue for because it's, it's again it's it's a period it's a snapshot of a moment in time for Green Lantern and it's one that was married so tightly to him and his work and his interpretation and his vision and like I. Like it had, it it had an effect on me, but I can't imagine the effect it must have had on you, since you've got like a whole side thing going where like you're just diving as deep as you can into that era and that series. No, for sure. I mean, it's not like I cried or anything reading it, but I definitely felt kind of uh, the weight of the story, just kind of turning the page and going, uh, it's like. You know, reading everything else for fun, but turning the page on this one and going, oh, and, you know, taking a breath and going, okay, we're going to read this one now. Um, so just kind of preparing myself for it. Um, it's fitting that they got Grell to do the art. I'm actually happy they got Grell to do the art as opposed to Neil. Um, Neil is still one of the great artists, but I think Neil insists on inking himself these days. And. Uh, I think his, his either his lines are too heavy or too tight or his inks are too heavy, but his art does. I mean, he's old, he's older. I mean, let's let's just face it. It's, it's not like his art's going to just grow exponentially better every year as he even gets older and older and older. But 
his art is not what it once was, where I think Grell maintains a little bit more consistency than Adams did. So I, I like the pairing here. And I actually like, you know, the fact that the, it, it's only two little panels here, uh, but the the fact that the Hal spent time on this alien planet reading, I don't know that uh, Neil would have made it look as mystical and peaceful as uh, as Grell has. So I thought that was cool. Um, and there's just so many details. Like uh, when Hal is saying, I was there because of you and me in our line of work, uh, we see a lot of bad things. The detail there on Ollie's face, the seriousness as he's listening to what Hal's saying, it's really noticeable. The, the sort of smirk on the page before, um, when when uh, Ollie is saying, you went to another planet to read a book, you, you can very clearly see that smirk and it's very subtle um i just thought that was really well done so no i, I definitely enjoyed it and I, and I felt the weight of it as i was reading it for sure but um uh i think it's it, it uh, it's uh, a good and i mean the man's gone he's whatever whatever you whatever you believe in you know if you believe in the afterlife or not it's interesting that this is the story he went out on talking about you know uh, in a way, what you leave behind. Um, yeah, it's so. also kind of a one-two punch of like, yeah, it's it's one more, you know, Danny O'Neill going back to Green Lantern, but also it's another of Mike Grell going back to Green Arrow and actually leaving him in like a kind of a happy, positive moment for once. Hmm. Um, what you call it? The the thoughts that I have on this story. Uh, first off, I think it was one of the best, um, and I I don't say that because you know of the significance of this being you know a Denny O'Neill sto- uh, story and him just passing. I genuinely think that this was it's a great story. It's you know even though it's kind of a period piece type thing, it also applies so heavily today. Um, but I mean, in, in the side, aside from that, the art, if you, if you look closely, the art at the beginning, when it's a superhero story is different than when it gets more like in, in, in depth, you know, more, um, retrospective, um, you know, with, with the, the clock King guy, it's, you know, it's all superhero art. This is very traditional Mike Grell for Green Lantern. But then, right about the time that, you know, Hal and Ollie fly away, it's all, like, it's close-up shots, it's shadowing, it is, this is more indicative of um, Grail's art from Green Arrow, um, and it, it, it has a, a distinct feel. Um, I, I love that. I love, I love everything about this story, but it's just, it's amazing to me that Denny O'Neill would write a story about Green Lantern, you know, and Green Arrow also, but for Green Arrow's 80th, of Green Lantern's 80th, for somebody that tackled so many hard-hitting issues back in the day, like his last Green Lantern story is one where superheroes are evaluating, like, police brutality. Like that kind of thing where it's like they are evaluating, you know, how 
realizes that he's hitting too hard because he's doing it so much like he has to take a step back and reevaluate himself and you know in order to keep doing what he does and i think the fact that denny o'neill did that and he must have written this story months ago for it to go into this you know this book for it to be as timely as it is is amazing to me very good point yeah I assume you like the artwork also, Jim, because it did remind you of the Spectre a little, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it? It was it was good. It was very good. Um, I mean, the the last panel with Hal like flying off, I would say probably isn't you know the strongest, but just like you know the art, the colors, I, and the story, it just it all came together for me. I love this one. This made me realize I need to read more of this era of Green Lantern because, like, like the 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 only stumbling block I had was just like the Hal Jordan I know wouldn't go read a book in the woods for two months. <laughs> like, I part of me wants to go like Hal can't Hal can't read. Come on, <laughs> Is it, a, it might be a flip book. Come on. A, a classic comic. Maybe it's the classic comic version of Walden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but no, if, if this succeeded in anything, it, it made me, it kind of inspired me to want to go back and read some of that stuff because, like, I kind of, I've read, like, the greatest hits, basically, but I haven't read everything from that run or even that era of Green Lantern. And, I mean, we have all the time in the world right now, so why not? For sure. No, for sure. Uh, and just because we're on the topic, I'll mention it briefly. Uh, I said it online somewhere. Um, I, I am working currently on compiling a Denny O'Neill sort of retrospective memorial sort of episode for the show. Just, you know, slow going. I'm just trying to find as much content as I can because I know I have some of the original recordings somewhere. So I'm just trying to make sure I exhaust all resources before I say I can't find those. Um, but, uh, there will be a Denny O'Neill sort of, uh, repackaging episode of all the times we've spoken with him, uh, in the near future. Just FYI. Mm. Want to move on? Sure. Yep. Okay. <laughs> this, uh, this next story is Legacy. This is the Kyle Rayner story. It is written by Ron Mars. It is drawn by Daryl Banks. Hi-Fi does the color, and Josh Reed does the letters. Uh, This was like, oh my god, this was like going back in time. Um, We have Kyle Rayner, he's in this giant warehouse in Queens, and he's looking for remains from the Warriors bar, and he's, he's basically looking to salvage anything that he could find to bring to Oa, where the new warriors is um so he's got uh leon here who's uh walking him through and you know he's you know making chit chat as far as like you know oh you know hey you know i i know remember you you know you're the green lantern from new york because uh because leon here is from new york also obviously and he remembers him you know, he's basically commenting on how, like, there was a time where there no, were no other Green Lanterns. It was just him. You know, there used to be a bunch. Then it was just Kyle. 
and now it seems like there's a bunch again. And, you know, like, you know, just kind of pointing out that he was the torchbearer. And while all this is happening, while they're going through the uh, the artifacts and whatnot, uh, Leon accidentally activates a, um, a robot. It's like a, a battle drone from Deveron 7. Um, you know, apparently only Guy would be stupid enough to put live... Uh, live robots <laughs> in his bar Kyle creates a uh, a giant kaiju monster to to battle it and what it ends up taking is a whole bunch of uh, constructs of other lanterns to help him out because while you know he was able to do it for himself doing it with friends is a lot easier so uh, you know he, he flies off not actually able to you know, take anything, but, you know, uh, Leon assures him that he'll be able to rebuild no problem. Um, my thoughts on this issue, though, this story, uh, it, it was, it was fantastic. The, the art from Daryl Banks is like, it, it's, if not, you know, exactly the same, maybe better than when we had him in the beginning of the Kyle run. You know, you got big, uh, hairy, you know, gorillas picking up the stuff. One of them has a name tag, uh, Willis. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you've got these different artifacts. You have the robot transforming from, like, this little amulet kind of thing into a robot, into a giant robot. It's a really cool effect. That robot's final form looks awesome. Yes, yes. Uh, I love that Kyle is using these, you know, amazing constructs, you know, like cool shields, giant kaiju, a super giant gun, um, and then, you know, just creates constructs of all the other lanterns to help him out. It's it's definitely a, you know, it's kind of a fluff piece, but I mean, you know, who cares? It's, you know, celebration, 80th anniversary. And it's just a cool story and awesome art. I love, love the fact that you've just got like a bunch of little Guy Gardner pops and Lego people in uh, yeah. on the last page. I, I looked at that panel and then I looked at my shelf and then back at the panel and back at my <laughs> shelf and I saw the same Guy Gardner pop and I felt like I'm part of the story now. <laughs> yes, I, I I also looked exactly at the, you know, also at the the, uh, the Guy Gardner pop that I have up there. Also, we get the construct of his lantern shining a light and a close-up of Kyle's ring with the three bumps on the uh, the band. Yeah. Just awesome. I mean, this is, this kind of is, in a nutshell, what the Kyle era was like. It was like, like, there is a certain degree of Green Lantern back then being having like kind of a feeling of like of like kind of crashing your action figures into each other and having a great time with it, you know? And like that's kind of like like when I see a Daryl Banks fight scene, that's like what it ev- evokes to me in like a really good way. You notice on this uh on the title page where it says Legacy that big panel uh is that supposed to be like the doors or a window because it, it what that reminds me of actually one of the Guy Gardner Warrior uh, actual comic issues didn't it have like a a, a book uh, like a, a door style cover where you folded yes. one half out and the other half out? 
Yeah, that's oh, what that, yeah, that's yeah, what they, that reminds me of. That's looks awesome. exactly like that. That's a good catch. Yeah. And that was one of the ones that had a variant, right? Because the other one was a... What's the famous painting or whatever of the guy in the diner? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I know I, the one you mean. Yeah, it was the same issue. The, you either had this cover with the, the fold-out sort of door effect, or you had the regular... Maybe it was a variant at the time... With it was just Guy Gardner Warriors, but in the style of that painting. I think like Superman was at the bar and everything too. I think. Yeah, I don't remember that that version. I I know that I have this Warriors cover, but I don't remember seeing the. Uh, that's probably like the newsstand cover or something to that effect. Maybe. <clears throat> I really enjoyed it though, uh, but I, I mean I knew I would. The minute they always said it was Ron Mars and Daryl Banks, I immediately had complete faith. Would the story be better or worse if Leon was somebody we know? I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters, but I think Leon is probably based on maybe somebody that Daryl knows. Well, maybe, yeah. I th- I think could have been. Go oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Could it could have been Radu? Because wasn't wasn't Radu revealed at one point to be like a spy or some shit yeah he was like a russian spy or something like that yeah he could have used one of his safe houses or something to store some stuff as a favor to kyle and guy man i think the on page like 39 here like underneath the shot of of like the non-construct shot of the other earth lanterns the very last panel on the page is kind of the quintessential kyle rayner moment of him, of him just shrugging his shoulders, saying, "I just, you know, I did the best I could." Well, big green monkeys are carrying things away in the background. Like that's that's the that's the Kyle Rayner panel. And I just like the fact that the way when they're talking about you know the legacy about carrying it all by himself, of course, and he's standing next to the Hal statue. That that yeah. that, that was. See this. This is how, this is how you do a story that if again, I I wouldn't consider this a puff piece because this because this is important. It shows you its legacy for multiple reasons. Obviously, because we know of Kyle's role in the Green Lantern legacy, but it, you, you also it's it's Kyle's. It relates to Kyle just un, coming coming. I don't know if he ever needed to come to grips or make peace with you know the way things had gone from being you know the only Green Lantern to being one of many and everything, but but he's got perspective on it and he gets not that not that Kyle not that diehard Kyle fans probably want to hear anything like that, but the fact that he's that he realizes that in a way that in many ways it is better not to be the only one that there is a there is a benefit to to belonging as opposed to being the last of something that being you know that. It's also interesting that, of course, Daryl had gets to you know draw, he draws Kyle and of course the not classic Kyle outfit, but the new classic Kyle <laughs> variation on the class and the Kyle classic outfit with the different chest symbol. But it's, I think this is, this is a this is a good story. I think it does add some depth and and it does also reminds you of that of that era. So I come. So on the sliding scale, comparing this to the Jeff Johns piece, this was much better. Mark is so bitter. I hate that story. <laughs> I, I hate maybe a strong word, but considering the ex, 
considering the relevance of having Jeff Johns come back to do a story after all this time, and that's and he couldn't have come up with a story that was better than that. I mean, Mark, I, I want you to take all those feelings, Mark, and I want you to bottle them up, and I want you to save them for Grant Morrison, okay? Oh, I'll still take the story over the Grant Morrison book. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm just saying that, yeah, I mean, sad part is if I had to bet between between the Cullen Bunn, Ron Mars, and Jeff Johns story, which one probably would, I'd be most disappointed in, it probably would have been the Jeff Johns one. And it's not because of expectations either. It's not because, oh, I had super high expectations. I just wanted something that, kind of like you said, something that reminds you of what, of what that era was, and which is what, in a way, all these stories for at least some of the older stories. Obviously, the stuff with Simon and Jessica is different, but it reminds you of of all these characters of the era that they were from and, and how we remember them and different things that we've seen them in. So I kind of wanted that from the Jeff Johns story, but it, but it's like it, it kind of reminded us more of Rise of the Third Army, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff Johns more than more than Sinestro Corps War Black, Blackest Night Jeff Johns. But that being said, back on track, I really do. This story is probably my second favorite in the book. It's good. The last thing I want really want to say about it is that, you know, I don't mind it when literally anyone else is drawing him, but if you're gonna give me Daryl Banks drawing Kyle Rayner. I think you gotta do the old symbol. Like seeing a regular Green Lantern core symbol on Kyle and his constructs in in Daryl Banks art just it looks off. Like it doesn't look right. Like it looks perfectly fine in literally every other book by anyone else who wants to draw him. But like Daryl Banks is a specific era of Green Lantern. So like having him you not have the symbol he created on when he draws the character. It's just like, it's like, it's like you were so close guys. You were so close. This was almost perfect, but he's keeping it in continuity though. So he's doing, he's, he's doing what he, he's, he's being the good soldier that he is and drawing the costume as it exists now, because this is obviously a story that is supposed to exist somewhere around, you know, right now. Somewhere in the modern era, since Kyle came back to being a Green Lantern again after being a White Lantern and wearing you know, the closest thing to his classic costume we've seen since he wore it, so I, I, get, I get your point. I it took me I had to look at it a few times just to make sure that, that it's like that. Yeah, it's like they are drawing it, but but that also helps distinguish the time period that you're telling the story and to make sure that not just by what they're talking about, but it does give it better context of when it takes place because he's wearing the modern interpretation of that costume. I guess. I, I, I feel like I, I, I understand that completely. I feel like that's completely at odds with the point of this issue, though. Like, this, the, the entire point of, like, like, hey, let's have this creative team come back to do this character is to just... You wanted to do nothing but evoke the time when they wrote the, and drew that character. So, I like personally, I think it is a complete mistake to even try to anchor these in any kind of continuity. Like this should just be, it should just be a Ron Mars Kyle Rayner story. It should be a Jeff Johns Hal Jordan story, and so on. That could have worked too. Moving on. 
Instead, we get a Jessica Cruz pinup, which looks pretty neat. Yeah, I actually really like that one. I don't know why. Cause, yeah, it's because it doesn't really I, look like doesn't look like traditional Jessica Cruz. I think maybe you're right. maybe it's the way the hair is. Something about the hair looks kind of cool, and that the way it's just yeah. There's a lot of movement to to the image, and that's really nice. And I think it helps that there's such like this like violent lightning storm of of green energy behind her. Maybe that's the new lantern look. The thanks to Lantern Monet, there everybody has to have their hair straight up and over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kid and play green and lanterns. It, if if we could pan the camera up slightly, we would see the goopy space baby that she's creating <laughs> oh, above <God>. her. <laughs> They're all creating space goop babies. Oh. Here's um, your chance, Jim. Segue away. <laughs> uh, well, what you call it? Yeah, I set you up. About yeah, but oh god, Th- this pinup just reinforces that. Over at DC, nobody has any idea if Jessica is a brunette or has black hair. <clears throat> yeah. Or sometimes it's kind of red. I haven't seen red, but I've, I've seen brown and black plenty. Um, okay, so which, it's just it's a weird thing because, like, yes, women color their hair, but usually you want to make the characters, like, you know consistent so that you know who the characters are i guess because she has the green lantern symbol around her eye they figure it doesn't matter um okay so next up we have a story it's about guy gardner and kilowog it is by peter j tomasi and art by fernando pasarin the anchor is wade von graw bodger and the colorist is gabe altab uh, Rob Lay is the letterer. This is Heart of the Core. So we start off with Guy Gardner in Warriors, and he's telling a bunch of uh, recruits about uh, the story of the Blackest Night. Uh, you know, just old war stories, and everybody's hanging on his every word, so just like Guy loves. And he has to report to the Citadel, uh, according to Salak, and uh, Kil- Kilowog is uh working out he's working out extra hard and he just wants peace and quiet so he tells the the new recruits to get the hell out uh basically destroys the machine when guy garner comes in and says we got to get over to the citadel they uh, they go back they're informed that ismot and vath are um they're in trouble and the guy and kilowog have to kind of sneak in on a black ops mission to save them so they fly off, and Kilowog's been, like, you know, kind of sullen and irritated all day. And Guy's trying to, you know, get him to open up, but uh, it's not really working. They find an asteroid to hide behind uh, so that they, you know, don't get picked up. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, as the asteroid's, you know, crashing into the planet, they fly down. They go into a cave and they're beating a bunch of mud creatures and all of a sudden, like, they come out the cave the other side and happy birthday, Kilowog. It's a surprise party for Kilowog with a giant, I don't know if that's a decoration or a cake or something. That's 100% a cake. Yes, it's an enormous Green Lantern lantern cake. Uh, Kilowog. all, yeah, all the other uh, lanterns are there to 
wish Kilowog a happy birthday. And we find out that Mogo basically terraformed its Earth to look like Bolivac's Vic uh, for a day and put on a whole show as far as with the mud monsters to, you know, to, to throw them off the scent. And uh, this is also where we find out that his planet, Bolivax Vic, was destroyed on Kilowog's birthday, um, which is kind of kind of dark. But, you know, he appreciates having all the lanterns there to wish him a happy birthday. And uh, that's about it with that. So was this a story worthy of your number one draft pick? Are you talking about the the bracket thing? Yeah. Well, (laughs) Well, this... Oh, oh, I gotcha. Um, Yeah, yeah, I would say it was. Appropriate. He is our our undefeated defending champion (laughs) until next year's bracket. I, I thought it was appropriate that obviously they, you know, but the heart of the core being the story that's focused on Kilowog. Yeah, I thought that was pretty. I think that was good, certainly good timing. Yes, yeah, worked out well for yes, us. It did. <laughs> this was the story where the issue started to lose me because I like literally everything about it until the big reveal is is uh oh, it's Kilowog's birthday and it was all <laughs> a big surprise party. It's like. It's like, come on, like, what are we doing? This is like, this is like a, like, like, did, like, was Tomasi writing this while watching, like, an old sitcom or something, being like, a surprise party, yeah. But it's Mogo, Dan, come on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh man, Kilowog's all grumpy because it's his birthday, and who likes their birthday? Harumph. Well, we know why he well, was really grumpy. <laughs> it had nothing to do with yeah. his birthday, per yeah, se. Yeah, it's not like they forgot all about my birthday, so I'm sad. No, it's no, it, it was, and then they're like, oh, and also genocide. <laughs> literally, everybody that he ever knew in the past, and anybody else like him, is all dead on his birthday. It's the, his birthday has become the anniversary of, yeah, like just wiping out everybody. I know. I'm not against. I'm not saying don't tell that story because you can tell a really good short story about that. But like, like the instant you make it a big a big production to throw a surprise birthday party, that's when the whole thing just feels like lame and like kind of dumb. And you're all dumb for liking it. <laughs> There, there's the spirit of 2020. <laughs> it's okay. I thought the story. I didn't dislike the story. It was okay. It was. It was cute, and that was about it. It was good. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, there's nothing. I, like, yeah, I mean, I guess I totally would have been here for a story about Guy and Kilowog going to actually rescue Bath and Isamot. But, uh, you know, they're trying to keep it light. They got to keep it, you know, shorter stories. So I can see, you know, that this is a, an interesting payoff for this character. And it does, you know, it does serve to give people a little, little more background on Kilowog because I don't know that they've really gone into the whole thing about, you know, Bolivax Vic being destroyed um, recently. 
I did really like the fact that Guy Gardner looks back on Blackest Night. He lived through Blackest Night and looks back and says, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> that was pretty fun. That is Guy, though. Yeah, well, that... Let's yeah, do that, that should, again. That should not surprise anybody. <laughs> That's classic. Who's got the next one? Dan. Oh, that's me. So, Reverse the Polarity, uh, written by by Charlotte Fullerton McDuffie and Criss Cross. Uh, Criss Cross is on the pencils. Jordi Tarragona inks. Luis Guerrero colors. Steve Wan's letters. Uh, so John Stewart and Hawkgirl are on the Justice League Watchtower, secu- securing some MacGuffin rock called Milestonium that apparently has the ability to increase superpowers tenfold. John's overconfidence leaves them open to attack by Dr. Polaris, who tosses them aside and takes the Milestonium, gaining a ten times power multiplier, which makes him super overconfident, leaving him open to John stealing the Milestonium back with a construct, and then he gains a ten times power multiplier, which is too much for him to handle, and Hawkgirl helps John realize that if he keeps overestimating his abilities so much, he'll get him killed, so he lets go of the Milestonium. And if you haven't noticed, I've been saying Milestonium a lot, because the co-writer of this issue is Dwayne McDuffie's uh, 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 widow, and he was a co-founder and editor-in-chief of Milestone Media. He cr- co-created characters like Static, and he was Icon. also Icon. And he was also the reason why this is a John Stewart and Hawk Girl on the Watchtower story is because he was also heavily involved in most of ju- the Justice League Justice League Unlimited cartoon as a writer and like uh, a story editor and producer. And I kind of, like, thinking about it on that level, I enjoy this story for what it is. It's, it is literally just a short episode of Justice League Unlimited. You know, it's it's John and Hawker on the Watchtower fighting a villain of the week. And the whole thing has that kind of old-school Saturday morning cartoon vibe, from the very simple plot to the, the in-your-face lesson about the dangers of overconfidence. I... If you see it that way, great. I mean, that's I can I can I can adjust my lens to view it that way. But this was my least favorite of them, and I couldn't tell you why. It's just I was reading along, focused on every story, and I got to this one, and my eyes did one of those things where I just sort of skimmed. You know, like you'll be reading a novel and you're at the top left page and. Before you know it, you're already at the end of the next page, and you're like, wait, what happened? I've yeah. My eyes just sort of got lost here. I better go back and read that. That happened to me a couple of times on this one. Um, I, I couldn't pin down what it was, but I just, this one wasn't for me. Um, I, mean, I, I didn't like it at first either. Like, it took until, like, I got halfway in, and, it's, like, specifically the panel where John makes the construct to grab the rock from across the room, and that's where it clicked for me, like, oh, what they're doing is making an episode of early 2000s children's television. And, like, that's the vibe they're going for. And that's when it kind of clicked for me. Uh, what you call it? The This was not a good Green Lantern story. This was basically just a love letter uh, from Charlotte McDuffie to, you know, 
Dwayne McDuffie. Um, and I think that that's fine. I mean, if you look at it just the way that it is, it's it's nice that she got to do this. Um, it's it is this is definitely a fluff piece. Um, I mean, it's basically MacGuffin, you know, MacGuffin Rock. Um, I will I will admit that I always I had been reading it as Maelstonium. Uh, when you read it as Milestonium, I do appreciate the uh, the reference there, but. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's a horrendous Green Lantern story, but it's, you know, it is a cute, you know, Justice League story from, you know, from a wife to her husband. What does Lauren think? <laughs> put, put a muzzle on her, quick, yeah. Jim. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we all know what she thinks. I mean, if anything, I think the biggest problem with this story is that they didn't lean hard enough into the JLU stuff, because, I mean... I think it's exactly the right impulse to to make the John Stewart story in this issue evocative of the Justice League cartoon because that is that cartoon him and his presence on it is one of like the biggest cultural touchstones Green Lantern has ever had. So, you know, you want like when I saw preview art for this, all I, I didn't know who was writing it or what the story was about. I just saw and it, a page where John and a Hawkgirl were standing on the Justice League watchtower, and I'm like, yes, this. Make this, give me this. And throughout the entire thing, I went back and looked. Like, these two characters, like, on that show, their relationship was one of the best things about it, and he doesn't call her by name once in this book. It's always Hawkgirl, never Kendra, and that sucks. Like, I would love it. Like, this entire story would have been worth it to me if they had more than one page to just talk to each other before the bad guy showed up. Doctor, I like yeah, the artwork for Doctor. Sorry, that, that, I'm sorry. The artwork on Doctor Polaris, I liked. I thought that was a plus. <laughs> yeah, Jim. That was about all I had to add to the story. It was it was okay for me too. It's one of the weaker ones to me. Yeah. Um, no, I just Dan. Dan was right. I was just going to agree with Dan. Um, wow! It took it took to episode four hundred. <laughs> a milestone event in podcasting history. A milestoneum event. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I. It's funny that you mentioned the the whole you know, um, the Justice League show being the touchstone for John Stewart, because I was trying to think like. Okay, yeah, this makes sense from the perspective that there's not really anybody else that wrote more iconic John Stewart stories. You know, like while John Stewart like has definitely faced an upswing in recent years with better stories, I don't know that I would, you know, say that anybody really did the best job, you know, like it, hands down, it was the Justice League cartoon that treated him the best and, you know, gave him as much of a spotlight. Yeah, I mean, there's there are still to this day people who don't uh, who don't understand why why they whitewashed Green Lantern for the movie. You know, it's it, John on that cartoon is. It's it's one of the iconic Green Lantern things. True. Hello. 
Okay. <laughs> it was too deep. We all have to. We all have to absorb it. I'm just waiting for somebody to get to the next awesome one. Yeah, I'm. I'm just muting my microphone when I'm not speaking, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Uh, all right, so ready to move on to the next story? Let's talk let's about. Let's move on to these awesome pinups. I was going to so. say, I was actually going to do that. Uh, so we have uh, Kelly Cantella, Teen Lantern from Young Justice by David LaFuente and Anderson Cabral. Having the best time. Yes, she's all she's all giddy with her untied sneakers. <clears throat> and then we have Ty Pham from Green Lantern Legacy, art by Andy Tong and Alejandro Sanchez. That's a pretty cool pinup. This is my favorite pinup in the entire book. Just, just. I mean, it's it's also the least evocative of the actual story that the character is taken from. But just as a, hey, let's make an awesome piece of Green Lantern art that could be like an incredible cover or just pin up by itself. Like, like I wish this was a poster. I love this image. Well, didn't you just start reading Legacy? I did. I read it the other day. Yeah. It's, it's definitely... Um more energized than the art from the legacy book. It is a cool, it, it's, it's probably objectively. It may very well be the best, the best pinup. I still, I'm still going to go with Joe. I like that pinup better. Oh yeah. But, uh, I mean, those, those two are the top two, I think follow, followed closely by the goop baby. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> All right. So Number one in my heart. In your heart. Yes, it is. Uh, all right. So now we enter into four, which is the Robert Venditti mm. story in this book. Uh, Rafa Sandoval, who still can't draw Kyle worth a lick. Uh, Jordi Tarragona, <laughs> Avon Placencia, and Dave Sharp. Uh, I was going to say that at one point. Might as well get it off. To, he, he's never been good at drawing Kyle, and, he, and he's, his inability to draw Kyle's hair for whatever reason. I don't quite understand. But an older Kyle Rayner does not increase, does, has not changed his fortunes much when it comes to that. It's literally worse. Yes, yes it, 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 it worse is worse. I mean, other than uh, having like a ponytail down to his butt, maybe I bet that's the only thing that would make it worse. But this story takes place in Baltimore many years from now, so we know this is a future story, even before you get to the end, which makes it clear why it's a future story. So at Hunter's Green, Hal, John, and Kyle are gathering for dinner or for drinks, mostly actually. Uh, uh, and they've clearly been coming to this place regularly. Seventeen years, John, uh, Hal tells us later on. Uh, Eileen, who's the, you know, who's the barmaid there, that pretty much she's been there all this time too, because she recognizes them and she points out how you know guys always late. So, John, Kyle, and Hal sit there and they, and they basically share guy stories while a guy is you know missing in action. You know, they talk. They talk about the story of fighting Evil Star when Guy basically was getting his ass kicked by the Starlings, but he thought they were so cute, so he couldn't fight. He wouldn't fight back. <laughs> and uh, and this, I thought this was a little self-serving about when Hal, when and that's for Hal. I mean, for Venditti talk going into the talking about. Remember, you know, this was back when I had the ring that I forged for my own willpower. <laughs> that was that was that was a little bit much, but it tied into a cute Sinestro story where at one point when they're all fighting Sinestro in the Sinestro Corps, of course, guy guy does a flyby right in front of Sinestro, stark naked except for his ring. <laughs> Makes no sense, but hey, a lot of a lot of the story doesn't make all that much sense when in, in these stories. And the deepest part is when John's talking about Guy, how you know Guy always walked into a room all the time looking you know, ready to pick a fight. 
And the main reason he did that was because in his guy's mind, basically, if, if everybody wanted to beat the hell out of Guy, if everybody wanted to hurt Guy, that means they'd be less focused on hurting any of his friends. So I thought that was kind of a, a nice depiction of the Guy Gardner we've come to know in, mo- in modern times. Uh, they, they, you know, they they, fin- they finish up their dr- they finish up their last round. They realize that you know still guy has not shown up. And then at the end, when, when the, after Hal says you know see you next year, we realize the reason why guy hasn't shown up is because they're at, a, at the graveyard where Guy Gardner's tombstone is, and they do their you know the four corpsmen thing: four legs on a table, four walls in a house, four seats in a Mustang GT, mm-hmm. forever. And all three all three of the remaining four corpsmen raise up their ring hands, which of course none of them have rings anymore, and they're basically uh, paying their respects to the now deceased Guy Gardner. I, uh, this is my second favorite story, um, after obviously Denny and Mike's, um, but I really like the story. I like, I, I could like at the beginning, it's, it's not subtle. So at the beginning I could sort of see where it was going, but I got caught up in all the retellings of, of these little stories I forgot. And I thought like, oh yeah, it's, I guess it is possible. A guy will just come barreling in at the last minute. Uh, making a scene or whatever, but uh, yeah, I really like this story. I, there's nothing in particular to point out. You know, the flying in front of Sinestro naked thing is hilarious, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, the the flashback scenes, uh, the art for the flashback scenes, I think is pretty fantastic because um, it it is different art between the the bar scenes and the cut scenes, right? It's a different artist. No, I think it's all sound. Maybe he's just doing a different style or something. Either either way, it's really enjoyable. And, um, yeah, this is my second favorite out of the book, I think. <laughs> I think this is probably Robert Venditti's uh, first uh, first time where he nails the landing. I, was gonna, I thought you were going there. I thought you were going <laughs> It may not be. I think I think yeah I think he did in God's in Godhead too to be honest with you but you it's, it's it, we can definitely agree it's one of the rare times that he stuck the landing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's a powerful story. It is kind of a Dan and I talked about this uh, last off off the air when we recorded for the, for the last episode that it is interesting to debate. Do we really? Does it make sense? Do we really think Guy would be the one to go first? And it does make a lot of sense on multiple levels. Kyle would probably be my second oh, yeah. choice because Kyle would be willing to sacrifice himself. Uh, but Guy, you know, because Guy is kind of has that he 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 is the one to draw all the attention on him, kind of like the way John focuses, the way John describes it aptly in the story. That I think it makes sense that Guy would probably, in a way, knowing Guy, he'd want to be the first one to go because look. The, uh, because these guys, these guys until they're dead are still going to be coming to his grave every year. After, <laughs> even though he can't make it to the get-togethers anymore, they still show up. They're going to still show up every year and go back to the same place and do the same thing. So, guy still yeah. wins. Yeah, even though he can't be the one telling the stories, at least he'll be the subject right. of the stories. Absolutely. It was. I, I did really. I did really enjoy the story. Another story that was better than the Jeff Todd story. <laughs> I, I do appreciate that there are now two separate moments where Sinestro is seeing Guy Gardner naked. <laughs> he did. They remember that time he got captured or something back in I think early the, in the Venditti run or something. I forget when it happened. Oh yeah, I think, I, think Guy, you're, I think you're right. I think I think that was in that was in the Hal Jordan in the, in the Green Lantern Corps run. I think 
he was captured. He was cap. He was captured uh, when he was. Yeah, he was captured, and, and he was. And I think Sora. I think Sora helped helped free him at that point. Or, yes. So Smash Bros. seen guys dick a bunch, and uh, <laughs> there'll be a special one shot just about that all the time. He's seen Guy Gardner naked. Yeah, and, and it'll be called like I got your one shot right here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This this was nice. Like I wished. I kind of wish they he could have hidden it a little bit. No, I mean not Guy's penis. I mean I wish he could have <laughs> hidden the the twist that Guy was dead a little better because like. There's at least two two panels throughout here, and one of them was on the first page of just like an awkwardly silent pregnant pause kind of thing, where it's like, oh yeah, guy's dead. But I think Vendetti did succeed here in like he wrote something here that could serve as his final Green Lantern story if he never comes back to the book ever again. And yeah. it's it's it kind of in a way it reminds me of um, how the 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 Jeff Johns run ended with like, you know, here's a look at where everybody went. Right. Even if like we never follow through with it. Like this is Vendetti Venditti's like smaller scale version of that. And I, I think that's really, really effective. I do too. I like, Oh it. my God. What? What? It just occurred to me that the bar that they're drinking at is Hunter's green. Yeah. The color. Yeah. Yeah. No green. <laughs> yeah. Hunter's green. Hunter green. You know, that's basically the shade of Green Lantern. Cool. Good good job, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> I'm helping. <laughs> I, 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 the only thing... Go ahead, Jim. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jim. The only thing, like, I, I just... I hate this whole Four Corman thing. And, like, it, it comes up so much both in... In uh, in Vendetti's run and with fans of Green Lantern 2. And every single time I ever see it... All I can think about is like, because like the whole argument is like, you know, we we joked about before, like, oh, four legs on a table, four walls on a house, whatever. Like, it's like, it's the same. It's supposed to be like this, like great, like unifying, like we're all together and we're we're a force to be reckoned with. But like, most fans use it as a justification of, hey, why do we why do we need new characters when we have these four right here and no. Either nobody remembers or wasn't around back when it was a uh, back when Kyle showed up for the first time, and it was well. Why do we need this new guy? We got these three over here. In the same breath, they're trying to say like, who the fuck needs Simon and Jessica or whoever when we have these four? So like, I can never like uncouple that from the whole four like we're the four Corman thing. So that part. Was kind of, felt kind of sour to me, but that's probably more my fault. I, I read it more like brothers than anything else. And it's the right. Yeah. Yeah, but it's Dan, good. Good. well, the thing is, it's like it, you know, he says the four corsmen forever. Like that wouldn't work if he said the six corsmen. <laughs> six ever. Six ever. Two six ever. <laughs> um, and it's and it's the rest, and because of, and we know. You know, because they even talk about it when this first when it first came up. It's based on you know the whole Ric Flair wrestling thing. It's based on the Four Horsemen. I mean, so that's that's where the Four Corps. Oh, is it? That's where yeah, that's where the that's where the Four Corsmen <coughs> concept comes from. So it's so it, it it's more tying that into and yeah, it, that's what it really is into like the wrestling stable, and that's the re- and that's the and that's the reason why because and because these four have been around for a while, and because of their personal relationship, that it makes that. 
yet. So I, 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 I'm not against. I'm not against the concept. I like the, I like the fact that you know that. Hey, Kyle fans should be happy that he's included in that core. Literally, that core, that core of Green Lanterns that people that when the people think of the you know the, the the big four that Kyle that Kyle is in there. Of course, they want Kyle to be the only one. But so, <laughs> some people. yeah. I mean, it's if any, if anything, it's just a reminder that like like all of the bullshit complaints people have about new characters, all it needs is time, and those will go away. And when it and, I mean, granted, it'll get projected onto more new characters, but, you know, the cycle is what it is. I did, Actually, I don't know anything about wrestling, so that was completely lost on me, but, yeah, okay. Uh, what you call it? The, um, yeah, no, the one thing that I'll, I'll say, like, the reason why it's the four of them is because those four have, you know, between Rebirth um the blackest night and brightest day and war of light i mean like they all they did all of that before you know the rest of them came about like those were like the biggest events that like have ever or should ever happen to the green lantern Corps. so i mean like you know they're bonded by the wars that they have fought together as opposed to the new recruits who are, you know, they're doing great work and everything like that. And I'm sure that they all get together and hang out, but they're not the ones that went through the war together. And, you know, like war buddies get together and they hash out stories about, you know, the wars that they fought in. Um, that's kind of what it's indicative to me. Oh yeah. And I'm not trying to say that any of any other characters should have been in this story. Like, for me, it's not, like, I think this is perfect, except for, like, I don't like calling out, like, the, uh, like, the special club that is, I, I mean, I guess my problem with it is more of, like, the out-of-story context given to it, where it's treated as, you have this, you have these four, so who needs anybody else? And that's more, that's more a function of, of interactions with other Green Lantern fans than it is, the material itself, but it's gotten to a point where when I see it pop up in the material itself, I just kind of roll my eyes and wish they never said it again. I get it. Speaking of Jessica and Simon. Bring us home, Dan. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, the Dan Dan knows. This uh, Kyle Rayner pinup by... Uh, is it who is it? Sarah Stone. Yes. Yeah, Kyle, and like this super awesome generic looking anime mech, which I, you know what? I he didn't make one of these in his. No, he made a big dragon. So um, we got Kyle and a big green robot in this anniversary issue, which is enough to make it feel complete. I think. <laughs> you know, you say that, but there is an aspect to it. Like I love this this art. But there's an aspect of it that feels wrong because it feels like Joe should be the one doing the anime robots. Oh, Jim, I don't know when the last time was that you went back to look at old, like, especially Daryl Banks era Kyle stories. He was they were putting anime things in Green Lantern before either of us even knew what anime was. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Daryl's a big fan of like um, Ultraman. It was, Ultraman. What's his name? Ultraman. Oh, yeah, Ultraman. Yeah. So he's. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming he's pretty, pretty up on the uh, the anime and that sort of uh, the exports from over there. Also, four pages before this, during the guy penis scene, the, uh, Kyle, what, like they have uh, the shot of John charging forward, and to the left of him is Hal in the plane, and to the right of him is Kyle in an Evangelion, which is an anime robot that he was also in near the uh, tail end of the uh, the uh, Dark Star Rising arc with the Zod and Orion there. And it's also the same robot Joe is going to be using in issue seven of far sector so we got some some kyle anime robots going on in here yeah that's it's weird though to see them both using anime robots i don't know if you know this jim but anime robots are very fun (laughs) (sighs) anyway all right so next one yes all right, thanks, Chad. Uh, so we've got <laughs> Chad's asleep. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> well, let me let me soothe you to sleep with my sexy tones. So we got the voice written by Mariko Tamaki, uh, art by by uh, Mirka Andal. What? Mirka. I was just gonna say <laughs> Mirka Andal. Okay. Okay. Uh, then colors by by Arif. Uh, Prianto. I've, ne- I've never seen any of these names before. I'm sorry. Uh, letterer is Gabriella Downey. Uh, yeah, and some editors. Okay, so <laughs> Jessica is wrestling with, ca- with causation. You know, she was on a mission that went wrong, and the last thing she touched before leaving her apartment was this kitchen knife. And a part of her mind has become fixated on the idea that somehow it was her touching that knife that knocked over the first domino and led to an alien throwing her into a black hole. And she knows that's ridiculous, but a small part of her can't let go of the possibility that she did this. It was her fault. Just like the night her friends were murdered during their camping trip, something that also happened after she had been cutting food with her knife. The whole story is about trying to accept that sometimes terrible things will happen to you that you're powerless to prevent, and believing otherwise will make you fixate on what you could have done to prevent it, even if it's something small and completely unrelated to what happened. Because what if you're wrong? What if it is related? What Do you really want to take that chance? There's a great bit of text where she talks about how anxiety will often be misunderstood and miscategorized, which led people to brush it off as her just being too worried about stuff. Uh, There's a page in here where Jessica flat out says she's embarrassed to admit any of this, that she still can't totally stop listening to the small voice in the back of her mind because too many people just don't understand. The conclusion she arrives at is that she shouldn't be trying to ignore that voice. She can just pretend, you know, It's not like you can pretend that anxiety doesn't exist. So instead, she can change the way she reacts to that voice when it does chime in. She's afraid that the knife leads to something bad, so use it for something good. Make a big green construct of that knife and use it to save her partner. It's not a solution, but it is a step in the right direction. Obviously, based on that scene of what what the shark or whatever... 
But then being stare, she I think Hal needs to give, give her a copy of Walden too. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that should be the Christmas gift at the Green Lantern party this year, Christmas party. Give them give them all a copy of Walden, man. <laughs> Yeah, Simon's like, is that knife serrated? And she's like, it's like uh, better for slicing and dicing. Yeah, that's pretty vicious. <laughs> I like the story. I'm not entirely sure I like the art. I mean, the art is is not something like I immediately look at and go, I don't like just straight away. I read it for a little bit and I kind of went, do I like this? Do I like I had to think about it for a little bit. And I'm not sure what that is. Maybe it's I don't know too lanky or maybe too cartoony. Not not entirely sure. I just something about in the art and this was off for me personally. Just saying that I, I, I like the story. I'm just not entirely sure how many times we can go down this road with Jessica. It's like there's a her anxiety is always going to be a part of her. But at the same time, if you harp on it too much, that's going to get old. So what's the perfect balance of making it a part of her characterization, exploring it, and exploring it in in different <laughs> ways each time? Well, it's, so that when you do, it, it's, it's offering different perspectives into this. Uh, if you want to call it a mental illness or, or whatever you whatever whatever have you, it's uh, it's it's offering uh, a different perspective, a different, a different look into the character rather than just going up. Oh, here's Jessica being scared again. So well, I, I, that, sorry, I, I, no, no, it's fine. It's, it, it, that's, that's sort of what I'm looking for whenever I read a new Jessica story is, are we going to harp on the same old thing every single time? It's fine for it to be permanently a part of her because it, it, it's going to. You're going to expect to see some growth from her, uh, you know, obviously. But I don't think that her being a Green Lantern is going to be a magic fix-all for this really deep-seated anxiety. And I don't think anybody should expect it to just go away from her stories. But it should be evolving and it should be changing. Well, that's as funny that you say that, Chad, because this, that's exactly what this is. Because up until now, like I just remember, I just recently reread basically every Jessica Cruz story, and the focus of her 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 anxiety has both been like general generalized anxiety and more specifically agoraphobia. You know, her like the big hurdle she's usually focused on is how do I get myself out of bed and out of my apartment today? How do I handle going to space for the first time? How do I work my way up? to getting a part-time job washing dishes. And I kind of think, I think, I think like they figured out a way to split the difference. Like this story, I think is, a, is an example of what the character needs because again, like yeah, she's been around a long time now. She's been around since 2014 and we've had, we've had pretty much nonstop stories about Jessica for six years. And we've been able to see her gradually make progress dealing with her anxiety to the point that it isn't nearly as much of a hindrance now as it used to be. Like, if you read, like, later volumes of Green Lanterns, the Simon Jessica book, if you look at uh, Justice League Odyssey, where it barely comes up. And it, they reach a point where, like, it's, this, it's that double-edged sword that because you want to see the character progress but you don't want to 
to see her lose the battle with anxiety that made her mean so much to so many people. And this story does suggest that while we've seen her make a lot of progress with the agoraphobia, it's just one aspect of the overall anxiety that needs to be ex- explored, meaning that we can keep having her slowly advance without losing the trait that made her so compelling. Hmm. Yeah. Also, I love the fact that when she got a call from Batman through a ring, she answered it through a construct smartphone, which she absolutely did not have to do. But at the same time, I'm very glad she did. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was kind of kind of slow and I don't know. It wasn't really uh, wasn't really interesting to me. I appreciated the art. I, I, I do see what what Chad was saying that there are some there are some aspects of this, like the first two pages don't do much for me the artwork, um, but when you get a little bit more of Jessica, and 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 the, the basically the adventure that she's ta- she's she's letting us in on everything that's happened, while again it's still not your traditional look for Jessica overall, that I did appreciate the art a little bit. I did, I. Considering what this issue is, I did not mind, you know, going down, you know, going down the road again, regardless of you know evolving and taking it to a new level. I did not, I did not mind going down the road of uh, reminding us about the anxiety, because not just because that's going to be something she's always has, but because of the fact that, considering what this story is and what this book is about different aspects of all these Green Lanterns and things that make them unique. That that's part of who she is. So I I I didn't have as big an issue with it with it showing up. That kind of story showing up in this book, especially since like unlike all the others, she and Simon haven't been a lo- around long enough to really have like nostalgia fueled entries in this. So instead, you kind of have to just z- z- like zero in on like their biggest defining trait. She could be sitting at a bar at Volthoom, but that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Remember time travel? That was fun. <laughs> yeah, no. They should—they just put down the beer. And go, hey, where's Raimi? <laughs> yeah. All those old guardians got shipped out for and during the Mars and <laughs> They all look alike, and then they're gone. <sighs> all right, Simon. Yes. After this. This Joe Staten, yes, Guy Gardner pinup, which I mean, it looks nice. It's not my thing. Nope, not mine either. <laughs> this it's classic it's, Joe Staten. This this is not classic Joe Staten. <laughs> this is like this is super cartoony animated, you know, version of Joe Staten. Mm. It's not bad though. I mean, I guess when you tell me, oh, there's a Joe Staten Guy Gardner pinup, I'm thinking, like, something that looks kind of like, you know, like the Guy Gardner number one kind of cover, you know? Where, like, but, like the, the shape of the head is, like, really distinct and all that. And this, I don't know. I don't know. I also haven't seen new work by him in a long time, so maybe his style's just evolved. I think he, he's been doing, like, the Scooby-Doo comic for, like, decades. So... That's probably where his style kind of evolved into. 
I can see that from this. All right, so, Simon? Yes. Yes. All right, so this is the part where I talk to myself for for (laughs) ten minutes, right? (laughs) Jim, cue up the snoring right now. (laughs) I'm I'm already kidding, Dan. I'm sorry. Of course you're not. Uh, I'll uh, I'll talk to you guys later. I'm going to cut out now. (laughs) God. Jesus. Okay, now you can really mute it. I was kidding. (laughs) That wasn't me. Uh, so, Homegrown Hero, uh, written by Cena Grace, uh, art by a Raymond Villalobos. Villalobos. Villalobos, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm terrible. Uh, colors by Rico Renzi, uh, letters by, by And World Design. And so, <clears throat> Simon Baz, America's sweetheart, Simon Baz. <laughs> Which America? <laughs> All of them. Which Earth? So, so Simon is having an evening out with his sister, Sira, his best friend, Nazir, and their aunt, who just flew in. Uh, they're downtown enjoying an art walk when Sira gets nervous at the sight of a man who doesn't seem to be looking at any of the art exhibits and is wearing a large coat in 70-degree weather. Uh, Simon's ring detects a, a concealed assault rifle, so he moves in and restrains the guy who had planned to shoot up the crowd at the art walk. Simon gets the guy to talk and finds out this was all supposed to be a diversion to distract the police from a larger uh, a bombing of an Islamic center. Simon's first instinct is to secure his family's safety and leave the rest to the police, but his aunt refuses to leave because if they run and hide, if they live in fear... The terrorists win. Simon catches the van full of racists before they can bo- plant the bomb and finally starts to realize the symbol he is for his community. As long as he's protecting them, as long as they see him standing up against fear, the fear of others, it'll give them the confidence to live their lives without running away. <clears throat> Excuse me. This story is all about illustrating the fact that racism is nothing but hypocritical bullshit based on blind fear of someone you perceive as being too different from yourself. 9-11 emboldened a lot of people to treat Muslims as terrorists, which was also the justification needed for racist white guys to start committing acts of terrorism against Muslims. And the story does a good job of representing the wide range of ways racism can manifest. I mean, yeah, it had people brandishing machine guns and bombs, but it also showed how something as small as a comment someone makes under their breath can be a casual reminder of the hostility they harbor for you, and who knows when or if they'll act on it. Or when they draw attention to the fact that being a Muslim woman means Sira is a much bigger target for discrimination and assault than Simon or Nazir, which requires her to constantly be hyper-aware of her surroundings all the time. And even though it would have been both Justified and cathartic, Simon doesn't hurt any of the bad guys. All he did was restrain them and shield himself from being attacked. The only violence in this story was committed by by this white racist, and he was hurt by his own bullet that ricocheted back at him. Like, this is... This is also... <laughs> I can't believe this is the one. This is the only story in this entire issue that has a lantern interact with their family, which is the one thing these stories were really missing. Like, again, I think 
the Jeff Johns Hal story, Mark's favorite story, <laughs> would have been so much better if instead of calling Batman, Hal just sent a message to his brother. Hell, Simon's story reminded me of the fact that what made the Green Lantern's book such a breath of fresh air back when it first, in the, I think the first half of that run, is the fact that it took place on Earth and both Simon's family and Jessica's sister were a part of the regular supporting cast. It's an element that the Lantern books are used way too little, and I was really happy to see this, this story focus on it so strongly. Also, there's a great moment where he's walking up to the dude in the coat, and he just said, the, the core did not do crap to train me for crisis defusement. Try to punch Kyle Rayner. That'll prepare you for real-life situations, Simon. Which is directly referencing the, the, the short arc where... Jessica gets trained by Guy and Kyle trains Simon and he's like, hey man, because we're Green Lanterns, you win if you can hit me with one punch. Ah, the good old days. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this to be funny, but I, I, at this point, like, look, it's a good story. I get its point. I did not like the art, um, but I, I, I get it. Uh, it, it was well told, and I get the message. I very clearly understand the message they're trying to send. At this point, the damage for me is done with Simon. I don't care. I just, I just frankly do not care about the character. The, 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 the wind has been sucked out of my sails for him. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit here and try and pretend that it reignited something for me. It was it was well done, well told. It's cool to see him doing his thing and standing up for his community uh, and everything like that. And, and in, in a lot of ways, he embodies a lot of what uh, an Earth-based lantern should be doing in terms of protecting the people and you know, common the way an uh, Earth Green Lantern would be involved in what we perceive as you know common human cr- crimes. But I'm just. Uh, Unless something really incredible comes out in the next couple of years or something, I'm I'm just done with Simon. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. Damage <laughs> damage has been done. What are you, you, yeah, you're working on I, which part, Jim? Oh, <laughs> uh, Dan knows. No, yeah, Jim is very firmly in the in the camp of a. Uh, oh no, you mean the other thing? Never mind. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're wrong, Chad, because like you, that's your opinion, that's your read on the character, and that's just as valid as mine is. I just, it's just, it's just strange to think of, of like, I don't know. I just, I can't understand writing off a character who's used in ongoing fiction because there hasn't been the perfect story for them yet. When, like, okay, if they keep getting used, then there will be. So why not just wait and see? It's not because the perfect story hasn't been written for him yet. It's because we had a couple of good stories, and then they threw him down the shitter to make somebody else look good. Like, they deliberately made him look worse to make somebody else look better. And it's just like, you know, it, you know it, it'd be one thing if, you know, we, we kept the mediocrity or whatever you want to call it going, but we deliberately turned him up to 11 in terms of not liking him to make somebody else look good and damage done. You know, it happened too long for me. So, you know, 
Part of it is we haven't seen something good. Another part of it is you keep telling me he's special but not showing me why. You know, that's, yeah. that's my biggest issue with him. You know, they, they always they, they they have been repeatedly trying to show why you know he's special, but you know, like there's there's never any thought or explanation as to why this is the case. It's just like, oh yeah. You should all love Simon because he can see the future and he can heal people. Well, why can he do that? Um, look at Jessica. You know, like, but no, we want to know how come he can do all that. Well, look at this Jessica story. By the way, Simon's an asshole and Jessica's amazing. Yeah, it's like you you definitely, you know, you're not you're not far off. Like he's not he hasn't been given a good shot now. You know, like I've I've listened to to Dan's you know thoughts on this, and I think that he has potential, but I think that you need somebody that actually gives a damn to give him a chance. And to be perfectly honest, he has to be in. It's going to have to be in another anthology book because they did so much damage to this character that. A standalone book with Simon Baz will never work at this level. I think that if you can repair him and make him into somebody that people, you know, actually can root for or want to root for, then, you know, that can change. But I mean, like the way that Simon Baz is now, I think that, you know, the majority of people will just, you know, they'll want to actively overlook his book. And I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. It can change, but you know that that all depends on the priorities of the editors at DC. Well, I I think they would have to make a concerted effort to tell good stories with him, not not kind of like beat you over the head with why oh you should like him because of this or that he heavy handed. They can't. We all remember his origin issue. His origin issue was not good. It was really heavy-handed. Doesn't matter why Jeff Johns. I mean, I guess it does, but it doesn't I mean. But from from an ob- objective perspective of somebody just reading an issue without having any background, no, it doesn't matter why Jeff Johns created the character and why he wanted to tell the story the way he did. The, the fact is, when he was first introduced in that origin issue, it was very heavy-handed and, and not, and it didn't really, it didn't really work well. Now, following that, but you know, but still, like I've mentioned multiple times, it annoys me so much. He jumps on the, the Simon jumps on the anti-guy bandwagon since Guy was really the first Green Lantern, even without a ring at the time, that he interacted with, and you know, Guy was not like Guy was especially jerky to him, especially compared to with Guy. <laughs> but the fact is that. They actually did a decent job, you know, with with Simon, you know, in his first interactions with the with the with the Green Lantern Corps and things like that. They just chose to fly, like kind of what Kyle said. They, they chose, and we've all said this when we were doing the, the the book, that they chose to flush him down the toilet on purpose to to elevate Jessica, and it worked. It helped to make Jessica more likable and Jessica more relatable because Simon was not. So they got they got the result, but now it's like well now that it's like now they what do you do with somebody? It's kind of like guy. So we guys guys to give a living example of this or a perfect example because 
Guy Gardner was a very unlikable character for such a long period of time that all you wanted to do was punch Guy Gardner in the face. That so, but then towards basically during the Kyle era and things like that, and going forward, it was a concerted effort to resurrect Guy Gardner as a character. And now we view Guy Gardner as completely different. So there would have to be an effort to do that with Simon. And not do it in a heavy-handed way, where kind of like, a, oh, you, you know, it's like, uh, you know, not that, not that we know anybody has said this, you know, certainly on the show, but it's not like, but it's not like, oh yeah, if you don't, you know, you're, you're like anti-Muslim if you don't like this guy, you're not giving him a chance, and that that tired trope that you have to like something or else, or else, you know, you hate, you're a hater if you don't like what they're giving you, you just don't like what they're giving you, and they have to, you have to give someone a reason to like this character, you know, Jessica. Jessica is more relatable on multiple levels, and Simon's just there. Give all those, give him Emerald Sight, which makes no sense, and don't explain it and how he can heal and all this stuff. Just again, make make him look important, but there's no explanation for it, and there's no payoff for it up to this point. I think the I think the reason for that specifically is because the second half of that series they cycle through a bunch of different writers, oh, and then, whatever plan they had. Whatever plan they had, like what, like like the I forget who started out with writing it, but whatever plans he had for Simon down the road went the way of the rage seed. You know, it just got dropped in, and like who, like the people that came on to write afterwards were just, oh, this character can heal and see the future. Sometimes, okay, I'll use that. Probably didn't even know it wasn't explained. Who because who knows? Because sometimes these runs are really short, and. Unfortunately, after that series ended, we kind of stopped seeing Simon outside of some occasional crowd shots until this issue right here. So all of the lingering questions we have about him and his powers still have the opportunity to be answered if someone actually picks the character up and uses him for something. And I will absolutely agree that the Green Lantern series, just across the board, everyone who wrote that book, was way better at writing Jessica than they did Simon. But at the same time, they gave Simon a good arc over the course of that series. And as a matter, and in fact, the absolute worst thing about that book and Simon in it was the Dan Jurgens arc at, that ended it, not only because it just magically made it into a generic Green Lantern core book that focused on Hal Jordan for no goddamn reason, but also because over the course of like two pages, Jurgens undid every bit of good characterization that Simon Baz had built up for himself across the entire series. Because this character, it took him a while, but he went through like this this substantial growth and became a better person than he was when he started. And like that's kind that's why I like following these characters. I like to see how they change. I like to see how they evolve over time. I loved the fact that interacting with Jessica made him a better person outside of the costume and interacting with his family made him a better lantern. And like, to me, it's not a matter of how do we fix Simon Baz because Simon Baz isn't broken. It's just a matter of when are we going to give somebody a shot to actually use the character for something again and see what they can do with them. I think Simon is broken. 
not broken at all. Um, what do you like? The one thing that, like, the, the, the simplest thing that they could have done for Simon is, mm. you know, like, you look at you look at all the heroes, and they always keep on updating the, their origins. And while Hal's is always, you know, pretty much the same, like, Guy Gardner's backstory changes, like, every time the universe reboots. And they do it basically just to, you know, suit whatever story they plan on doing. Even Jon Stewart. You know, like, he he's, I don't know, I guess he probably could still be a Marine and an architect. Um, but, I mean, they leaned real heavy into one. And then, you know, after the cartoon, they leaned real heavy into the other. So, you know, like, with Simon, like, a lot of people still have an issue with his origin. Because he has a awful, awful origin. So why not give him a different origin? Like, I mean, like, it's literally that simple. It's literally as simple as saying, oh, yeah, um, you know, turns out there was a ring flying by and, you know, for whatever reason, it flew onto his hand. I mean, you need more than that. But it's literally as simple as just saying that it's a different story. And now all of a sudden he has an updated origin that maybe people can get behind a little bit more so than, oh, yeah, he was a car thief who... Uh, was mistaken for a terrorist because he was driving a car with a bomb in it. I mean, it's just, it's, it, even if you disregard the fact that there was a bomb in the car, he still stole it. I mean, if, like, the biggest problem with Simon's origin as it stands is that it was too truncated. Like, if his origin had played, if the first, like, four pages of his origin had played out over the course of, like, an entire issue, and that was the pace that we went out at for it, it would have worked a lot better because it's a lot to swallow right away in a very short amount of time. And part of that came from it taking place during this stupid Rise of the Third Army event. <clears throat> the, the, pro, the thing, though, with Simon's origin is oh, the most interesting thing about Simon's origin is the thing that we haven't even gotten at they haven't really done as much with as they should have, which is the fact that what happens when you have Sinestro and Hal both telling your ring to go find someone like me? And the ring has to make a decision, and it kind of finds Simon Baz. That is inherently the most interesting thing about Simon Baz as a, as a ring wielder is the fact that he is what happens when, the, when a confused Green Lantern ring is told by two completely on the surface – people with completely different views on, on things and, uh, and, uh, and and two different styles of, of being a ring bearer go find someone like me and the ring has to make and the ring basically has to split the difference and go I gotta find somebody who is who is basically half his Sinestro and half Hal Jordan and it finds Simon Baz that was the part that's another that was the part that's another very good re- sorry go no, ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, that's another very good reason to keep telling Simon's stories, <laughs> to explore that. But that's the part, that, but that's the part, that's the part, in all honesty, as a character, that, that, should, that they should have delved into more, but you, but you do kind of get... I know it can always, you always walk the fine line where it can be interpreted as heavy-handed by a certain percentage of the people, no matter what you do, if you're dealing with, with social issues, I get it. But... Because of Simon's origin, it's, it's especially it, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in his art. So I I I think they should they can do some of that some maybe subtle subtle storytelling along that lines. But yes, if I if I was 
if I were writing Simon Baz, I would concentrate on trying to delve more into the duality of his personality, which makes him, which made a Green Lantern ring say, "This is this is this is somebody who technically I'm fulfilling the wishes of both of both ring bearers who gave me the same order, who are completely different, and I found this guy." What about him makes him? What about him makes him enough like Sinestro that it, that the ring was correct? What about it makes enough about Hal that makes him correct? Obviously, the stuff that makes him more like Sinestro is more interesting, but still, you know. And, but that that was an interesting aspect of his origin. But when you're trying to sell him to a new reader, I think that gets kind of convoluted and it bogs the character down. You know, so like, okay, so let me introduce you to this new Green Lantern. Okay, well, what's his origin? Uh, well, there was one Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, and then there was – and you like have to explain who Hal Jordan and Sinestro are for one of the coolest aspects of him to make any sense. Well, let me tell you, Jim, about this character named Connor Kent because, mm-hmm. you know, there was this one guy named Superman and there's this one guy named Lex Luthor. Like it can it can be done and be done interestingly. Well, his story got a lot more interesting. <laughs> Have you been reading the new stuff? Uh, new stuff in terms of what the Titan series, Young uh, Justice, Young, Young Justice, Ju- and then uh, was it Superman or Action Comics that he showed no, up? Action, I'm super. I think. I'm I'm super behind on my reading. <laughs> oh, it's it is freaking amazing I, i'm yeah i'm just oh, i'm man. just starting to get back into it and download the stuff i've missed but uh the um you know the new dc multiverse figures um was it mcfarland is doing them yes uh the batman white knight stuff just started coming out i got batman and i got the joker uh action figures in the mail the other day Still waiting on my Asriel, but that kind of reinvigorated me to finish reading the second part of the Sean Gordon Murphy um, White Knight series. So I'll be getting back into my comics soon enough and catching up quickly. But, man, I haven't really read a thing other than the 80th anniversary issue in about two months. (laughs) (sighs) Um, Yeah, definitely catch up with uh, Young Justice because that most recent issue is nuts. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, like I'm just my, my my point is just that Simon has a convoluted origin, and if you're they're gonna reboot the universe anyway, like very soon, like probably right after was it DC Death Metal or something like that? Maybe. Um, I, I think the plot of that is actually Wonder Woman wants to reboot the universe. <laughs> they need to. I, I mean, think they I basically even... need to. I'm clearly the only person here that likes Simon Baz, and I am not even necessarily against giving him a new origin. But whatever they do, they absolutely have to keep it centered on the same racial issues that it is. Because that, oh, yeah, yeah. that is that is so intrinsically tied to everything about this character. Like it can if if his origin ter- ends up being like, oh, he's just walking along one day and a Green Lantern ring picks him out. No, you did it wrong. You did it wrong again. <laughs> I mean, he could very well have gotten his ring while he was being profiled or something like that. You know, like there's a way to do it where he's not a car thief. Yeah, that certainly would help. Um, 
much uh, I guess gears towards the wrap up. I, all in all, I've I've read actually a couple of these 80th anniversary issues. I definitely read the Robin one. I'm not sure if you guys read the Robin one. I haven't read uh, any other. Yeah. I downloaded the bat, the uh, Joker one, and I, I've never really cared enough about Catwoman to even bother. But I I heard it wasn't that great, even from Catwoman fans. Um, I actually enjoyed this. I think uh, I think. Of the 80th anniversary of of what I was of it, what what I would have expected of an anthology anniversary kind of 100 page collection like this, I mean sure I kind of agree with with Mark on the Jeff Johns Hal Jordan thing that fell a little shorter and there are certain stories I either artistically didn't like or story wise didn't care for too much but there wasn't anything in this I hated. Just out and out. I know there was one that Mark did, but like, <laughs> I just there, I didn't feel like I wasted my money buying this. And I know I bought every single cover, but even if I were to just take you know sit, take it at face value and just say the cost of one of these issues, uh, I wouldn't have felt like I wasted my money. And that would would have been my big concern is that you know they would have tried to you know rope uh the john stewart thing into getting you to buy more issues of the justice league series or you know whatever uh whatever the case may be or throwing the teen lantern thing to get you to buy some young justice or, or or you know something like that uh and it wasn't that it and you know you got you know problems aside you know like dan brought up you got a story like four which had had a lot of emotional weight to it you had the denny o'neill and and uh mike rell story which is fantastic and and so on and so forth so i th- i i really enjoyed this and is is it a perfect issue no i don't know that you're ever going to get with something like that but um i didn't see morrison anywhere in here so i'm good yeah <laughs> it's definitely paid tribute to uh Green Lantern in a in a nice way, and and we started with Alan, so I'm here for it. So were you surprised? Although I I, I I will say I wish the Alan story had more action in it, just so I could just see Alan in action, you know, because that's uh, what was that uh, Gary Frank that did the art yes. in that one? Yes. Some Gary Gary Frank Alan Scott action would be would have been pretty fantastic to see on the page when do you think we see a jsa book 2021 or 2020 sometime 2021 yeah because it'll probably be i can see them like launching one after death metal is over because i think i bet bet they announce it during san diego or maybe new york san diego Diego is going to be digital uh you know they'll, they'll be doing a lot of stuff online so if there's big announcements to be had for San Diego, definitely San Diego. But if it's going to be more low key this year, then probably New York. Uh, yeah. Now, I'll tell you right now where they're going to do it. It's yeah. going to be that online DC con that's going to last like 24 hours. Oh yeah, that's next month, isn't it? I think it's August. So yeah, once when when people are listening to this episode, it'll be next month. Hmm. Oh, it's not uh, July. I, th- I thought it was. Well, it'll be July when they almost July. This. Even now, it's almost July. Yeah. <laughs> As we were recording time this. Is, yes. Time is a construct. <laughs> yes. Tomorrow, tomorrow's July for us. Whoa. Um, the one thing that I uh, wanted to point out, the very last page of this in the secret files, um, there's three things. 
Uh, one, Alan Scott's ring is like a typical current day Green Lantern ring symbol. Um, so I don't know if that's a mistake or what, but. Well, that's taken from the issue of Justice League that I was quoting earlier, where he's talking to to John about, you know, the other like hint that like he's gay. Oh, yeah. That's lifted right um, from that page. The other thing is uh, Joe Mullen is in continuity. We have that established now. Um, there was, I guess, some uh, possibility that she wasn't or she may not have been. But no, if she's in here, then she's definitely in continuity. And the third thing would be Teen Lantern, uh, Kelly Quintella. They end her, her little bio with uh, perhaps when she grows up, she might earn herself a lantern ring of her own, which is, if that's not foreshadowing of something, then I don't know what is. True. Yeah, I love, I really like this issue. I, 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 I need to like it slightly more to say I loved it, but I think it's, it's basically just what I needed because, like, Morrison's not enough for you? I mean, oddly no. Oddly no. <laughs> I don't want to drop any bombshells here or anything. But I mean, I mean, when I the way I look at this is like right now, Far Sector is giving me basically exactly what I personally want from a a contemporary Green Lantern book, and this anniversary issue is giving me the perfect counterpoint to that, which is just a a lovingly nostalgic reminder of how awesome Green Lantern has been in the decades leading up to this. And not all of them are knocking it out of the park, but like, like as much as I, I famously am anti nostalgia, this is probably the most positive example of it. I have personally experienced in, I don't even know how long, (laughs) like I can see myself like I don't reread, so like unless I wanted to like make a video or something. I don't reread comics a lot. I can see myself going back and rereading this whole thing or bits and pieces of it just on a whim sometimes because like there's so much in it that just gets to the heart of what makes these characters and their eras and their generations so much fun. Like I don't have to care about the Kyle Rayner story just to get a real thrill out of a. a a new Ron Mars, Zarrow Banks, Kyle Rayner page. You know, I can, <laughs> I can, uh, like Mark before me, I can look at that Hal Jordan story and just really revel in like the memory of how much I loved the John's era and just love it as my number one favorite. Right, Mark? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and like, like, like this, this scratch, the exact ditch it needed to for me. Like it was just a reminder of how great Green Lantern always has been. And it makes me really, really, really want to see what Green Lantern becomes afterwards. So not that I'm not that I want to rush Morrison along. I want I want the people that like his run to get enjoy that to the fullest. But as it stands right now, who the hell knows what form Green Lantern is gonna take after Far Sector and the Morrison Run are both over, and I kind of can't wait to find out. You know, during the, what is it, the State of the Green Lantern Union or whatever, I think it was, 
my statement was that if we, you know, if nobody writes Kyle, then I'm okay with that. I'm, you know, I'm kind of okay with just reading about new Green Lanterns. I have to say, with Ron Morris and Daryl Banks doing this story, if they started up a series and it was just focused on Kyle, you know, hanging around New York and going down to space and doing stuff, I would totally love that. It'd be better than most of the Green Lantern books we've gotten in the past few years. It'd be better than most of the DC books. Yeah, that's probably that's probably true too. The thing that it there was a it was a really nice it was a nice warm feeling with the with with the Ron and Daryl story just because they know that they just they're so comfortable in in their skin when it comes to that character that it doesn't matter that yes they you know we know they've written. Like stories with Kyle, you know, since they were working together on that on that run, but the, but it's just the fact that it that it wouldn't matter if they even if they hadn't done a story in like over ten years or something with Kyle, that they would just slip they would just slip right back in and it'd be like riding a bike. It feels that it feels natural, and you re, and you get reminded of why that book was successful, despite you know the way they dumped on Hal to, to, and did everything they did everything they did to set that up. The reality is. By, as a character and as a team, that you know that that Kyle Kyle worked. And that's and that's why I dump on the John story because I looked to me like I, like I mentioned before, a lot of these are a lot of these are all going back to at least partially partially like with the Denny O'Neill case, but actually not entirely partially in that, even in that case. But a lot of these are just picking people who are, who wrote different stories with Green Lantern at different times. And some are further removed from others, and seeing how and seeing seeing what kind of stories they tell, and the Johns one is the, is to me the most disappointing is because it it mean because it it just to me it just falls so flat when you have the Kyle story which works so 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 very well the Sinestro core I mean the Sinestro story works so well it's like Jeff Johns of all people he couldn't come up with, to me with a story that at least has some kind of weight to it and resonates and again yes. Reminds you, and not just oh, because of the artwork and because of little things that he says, that about what was so special about the you know the golden age of the Jeff Johns era, and to me that's not what this was. So that's so overall the review on the book is I thought it was good, it wasn't great, it for the most part gave me what I expected, but the Jeff Johns story was the most disappointing story in the book to me. See, that's going to be Mark's new thing. He's going to rant about that Hal story, and that's going to segue right into Chad ranting about Morrison's Green Lantern issue two, and then it'll just be a cycle that feeds into itself. Oh, I'm just caught up. I'm just caught up in the idea of if there was a Ron Mars and Daryl Banks ongoing after the Morrison series, how we'd probably have two new co-hosts. We'd have Ron Mars and Daryl Banks on every episode. <laughs> They'd just be our new co-hosts. This is the Banks cast. <laughs> If, I feel like Daryl Banks has been training for this issue for a long time because if you if anybody follows him on social media, thanks to commissions, he has not stopped drawing Kyle Rayner since 1994. He has been draw, I, he, he draws so I many still, Kyle Rayner commissions. I still haven't gotten a commission from him because I'm like I don't know I don't know what to get like. I know I can order more than one from him or just save up and get like a splash page of multiple characters, but I know at the very least my first one is going to be 
like two characters, but what two characters do I want him to do his version of power of ion and then my favorite costume of Jade or do I want him to do power of ion and Alan? Like, I I don't know what I want to see Daryl draw. So like, I just haven't, I just haven't pulled the trigger on getting a commission from him. I know I need to, too. Gotta be Kyle and parallax or, or Kyle and Alex. I'm not as big of a fan as Parallax's Mark is. I mean, like, it's... You which bitch! Isn't, no. you know, <laughs> which, no, no, isn't, which isn't to say I don't like Parallax. It's just, like, I don't have as much of an attachment to the character that I need to pay money to have Daryl Banks's rendition of him on, on, on my what, wall. What the hell, See, man? Chad, Chad, the move is you get the good Parallax, the fear bug. Kyle hugging the fear bug. And that and that's a wrap. <laughs> it makes you it makes you want. I haven't. I am. I need to get something else from Daryl. I have some really good stuff that Daryl's done. You know, I have. But yeah, like, like, so like, it's it's a completely different thing though because Mark's got like Snoopy with blue lantern rings. So like, <laughs> yeah, Snoopy with blue. It was Woodstock, it was Woodstock that was green in that in that because. I because I because Snoopy's oh. because Snoopy's the dreamer and Woodstock is more grounded and it's a little. <laughs> but 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 my but my, my favorite one is is when is Stitch's parallax. That's awesome. Oh my I god! Him, yeah, I, I, I th- yeah. We're all doomed. I had him. Yeah, I had him draw Stitch as parallax <laughs> from the splash from the original par- the original splash page in Green Lantern Fifty. Though I did have him draw the cape because I hate parallax without the cape. <laughs> without the cape, he's just not a good. De- the design without the cape is just. It's amazing what a cape can do, regardless of what the Incredibles tells you. That without the cape, you know, parallax is not that design is not nearly as as, as amazing. But that's probably my. And and I have Saint you know, I have Saint Walker doing I have Saint Walker doing the cover of Green Lantern forty nine with all the rings except they're all Blue Lantern <laughs> rings, so that, I have a bunch of stuff from and st- I have Stitch and Larflees fighting over the orange power battery. So, uh, but, <laughs> I like yeah, that. But I still have other ideas, but it's just it's just fallen it's fallen by the wayside. But yeah, but yeah, you should definitely think about what you want because I'm sure he'll it would be something you'd be happy with. I'm sure. You know what would be awesome? Kyle sitting at its Kyle in costume, sitting at a table with Radu bringing him some coffee. That would be awesome. And he throws it in Simon's face. <laughs> 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 oh, okay, we can we can be it can be more ac- accidental for Dan. Radu slips and the coffee goes flying towards. Red- <laughs> no, the Radu slips. The coffee goes flying. Onto cue another table where Simon Baz is sitting down with Jeff Johns, and they both get hot coffee poured on them because and, of what they've it, done. And in that moment, a ring comes through the window, and we have Simon's new origin. There you go. There you go. Um, <gasps> sounds like okay, a closing guys. if I ever heard yeah. one. Yes. Let's, let's wrap this sucker up. Uh, lanterncast.com. Uh, the email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter or like us on, Hace, on Facebook, but then Bubba. Uh, hashtag GLCast. <laughs> For an Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Stitcher, please leave us a positive review on whichever platform you listen to us on. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. So, 
Happy 400. (laughs) Happy 400 indeed. Good night, everyone.